We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no. There's nothing better. That's why... When it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 304. Before we get into anything, I just want to uh, say that my lip is healing well. Thank you guys for suffering through that last episode. Scott pretty much carried it. I... Gave some mumbles and, and groans to acknowledge that I was there, but uh, it was a rough episode. Doing much better this week. Uh, Scott is traveling. He is in Taiwan, and uh, joining me is JJ. I think the last time he was in Taiwan, you also co-hosted. Yeah, I think I became, like, uh, I don't listen to every week, but I think for a while I became, like, the de facto co-host. Like, when he he had a kid, I, I yep. filled in. He was in Taiwan. I fill in. So here I am. Well, welcome back. Thanks. It's good to be here. It's funny because uh, getting into Skype, like I could see the last time we did this. Yeah, it was like over a year ago. You you spoke to Jack over a year ago. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
Um, and well, you're gonna be you're gonna be joining a lot more, I think, over the next uh, year or, or year plus because uh, some big news, some announcements that you will be doing a lot of content with Bronx Pinstripes this year. We're very excited about it. Um, you were you were at Barstool for a while doing some some web series, some video stuff, blogs, podcasts, but um, sort of took the last year off, did like a, a, a gap year, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, really what it was is uh, I was with Barstool like four and a half years, and it started off as just like, hey, let's just do this, you know, uh, like filling in, trying to help build the presence for them in New York. And then I moved from New York. I knew I was moving because I'm old and 34 and my wife wanted to move. So now I live in Philly. Uh, closer to her family uh, and yeah I took the year off and was like let me see you know if I even really like miss it uh, and I did I did I miss like putting content out there being at a ton of games really having uh, essentially like an internet job that is an excuse to have to go to games like it's right, much right. easier when you're like oh, no we got to go you know otherwise I'll look bad on the internet so yeah so we you know we started talking me you Scott and yeah, I'll be doing, uh, I'll be bringing my web series stadium meets where I go to Yankee stadium and other stadiums and eat the food, drink the drinks, do the stuff that's going on around the stadium that mostly involves eating and drinking. It's pretty much eating and drinking at Yankee stadium and some other stadiums. Uh, I, that should come out like weekly. I think we're filming something at spring training soon to kick that off. Uh, and then I'll also be doing a podcast. Uh, we, haven't finalized the name yet, but we've been doing test podcasts. So I think that's the important yes. thing. Uh, yeah, the name will come. Myself and Keith McPherson uh, of MLB Fan Cave fame uh, and has you know been with you guys for a while, have been working on a show, uh, done a couple uh, test episodes. And, I mean, you and Scott are the only people who've listened to them. So for our audience of two, we've been getting decent feedback. That's right, yeah. If, if you had it on iTunes yet, I'd give you a five-star rating and review already. Nice. But uh, – yeah, we're very excited, and your your guys' both dynamic and background, I think, is going to be really interesting. Uh, you both come from uh, different parts of the sports and baseball world um, in your past, and, and bringing it together. You know, we just want to expand the Yankees' content, and it's going to be it's not going to be a, a carbon copy of me and Scott show. It's going to be your guys' own opinions, your opinions on just the broader MLB landscape, um, and both of you are from the tri-state area, which I think is. Uh, a different aspect because I grew up in Rhode Island, so I was always sort of a Yankees fan through my family, kind of from afar. Uh, Scott grew up in New Jersey, so both you guys are from the New York, New Jersey area. So, yeah, it's going to be launching uh, later in March. It's going to be very fun. Keith pointed out that I actually bring a certain level of legitimacy to the site because I'm actually from the Bronx. You're from the Bronx, right? He, he was like, yeah, we he's like, we finally got someone from the Bronx. <laughs> it's just in the name of pretty much everything we put out. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, and then also on this episode, Scott will be on the show. He spoke with Ben Badler from Baseball America about a bunch of international prospects, Yankees prospects, all that good stuff. That'll be on the second half of the show, so stay tuned for that. But we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, spring training is rolling on. Our, so the first week of spring training is always like everyone treats it like it's the regular season, like, like it's the friggin' playoffs with all the, the coverage it's getting. And then I noticed that the second week, just the, the volume of tweets go down, the volume of headlines go down, because it's like, all right, we've got five weeks to go of this, and none of this really matters. We're, so we're a, a week removed from the excitement that is really just grown men playing catch in gym shorts, and we're about two weeks away from, is spring training too long? 
Like all those mm-hmm. those articles. We need a big injury, yeah. and then it happens. No, we don't need it. Well, we, we don't. Need the Red Sox I'm ta- need I'm it or something. Society. Some other team needs it. Yeah, yeah. But that's when we get to like. Really, do we need six weeks for spring training, especially with the advances in medicine and training? These guys are, you know, they're working out in the offseason. And then, you know, maybe at some point they'll condense spring training. They'll cut it down by like two weeks and someone will show up fat. It'll be like, should we go back to the old spring training schedule? It's just a cycle of the online media. Well, I think that an argument for the spring training being long is actually like these free agents like Harper and Machado signing so late. Like they Harper's showing up. He's not going to be playing in games until next week. So he's going to need the three weeks before the season. That's see, that's when I I, if I'm being honest, like I don't really get like Bryce Harper's in incredible shape. I assume he's doing baseball stuff all the time because he's Mormon. So he's not allowed to have any fun. So what else would he be doing? Like he should just be able to go in and at least take one at bat. For the people who bought tickets. That, that, yeah, but, you know, the live baseball activities, you got to get that timing down. I know. I know. It's tough. A tough life. Uh, and, with, with, you know, as far as Yankees camp goes, Troy Tulowitzki, who I, I was I was sort of – I rolled my eyes when they made the signing. I wasn't upset because it's league minimum contract. Like, if he sucks or if he's injured, they're just going to cut him and, and no harm, no foul. But I just love that, you know, he hits the home run in his first at-bat. He backs it up in his next game with a home run. He's all fired up, running around the bases, showing up his old teammates with the Blue Jays. And, man, is everyone buying the Tulo hype hard. So, listen, Troy Tulowitzki is not going to be the Troy Tulowitzki of, like, 2012. But Troy Tulowitzki is playing for something very important, and that is a job for the second half of this year because – if Didi comes back and he's great and Tulowitzki sucks, he just gets cut. Like, it doesn't matter. We're eating a quarter million dollars at that point. And, you know, it, and then it's, you know, tougher to find a job where you're not just the veteran guy at the end of the bench for, you know, the Royals or, you know, some team that, you know, the Twins. So it, it's exciting to see him there. And, again, it's that first week hype of, like, great. I was looking at old tweets of mine or old Facebook thing, you know, Facebook memories. And I guess it was, I don't know how many years ago I said this, but the Yankees had won their first uh, spring training game in a walk-off. And so I was, it was 2010. They hit a walk-off home run in their first game. So it was like, great, we're going to do this all season long. Like, you just get caught up in, you get caught up in yeah. that excitement. Yeah, the, the double-A guys that are in the game by the ninth inning hit a walk-off home run. Exactly. Some other double-A guys. Yeah. Or it's even a couple of years ago, it was like two or three years ago, we won the first game on like a walk-off that was just an error in an outfield by a guy who'll never sniff the major leagues. Uh, yeah, Scott and I were at that game, I think. or they, we were at When we went to spring training, I think, two years ago, so it was the 2017 season, They we went to three games and they walked off in all of them. Yeah, it was just like, and, that's the cardiac kids. And I was listening to uh, Joe Girardi was doing like uh, radio rounds this week and I was listening and he actually talked about how, you know, the question was asked, like, does it matter if you win or lose in spring training games? He's like, no, but when you win and you win late, it's usually your young guys. And that's a sign of good things to come because that means you have a good minor league system. And it's actually kind of like when I thought back on it, I was like, oh, damn, like the Yankees were winning games in spring training late in 2016, 2017. And we were all preoccupied with the fact that Mark Teixeira was 100 years old and had glass bones and Alex Rodriguez was trying to, like, hang on for dear life. Meanwhile, we had Aaron Judge and Luis Severino and Gary Sanchez actually playing well 
in the minors. Yeah. Um, so so I, I think when that happens, it, it is exciting. And, you know, you just want to see your guys stay healthy. You want to see – I like seeing Tulo hit the home runs because I, if Tulo plays well, fantastic. He, that he's, they're going to need a shortstop. Someone's got to play he, the position. Like you said, like he's playing for a job in the second half, and, and I guess so. But when Didi comes back, as long as he's healthy, it's Didi's job. Like no one's arguing that. Yeah, a thousand percent. Well, I think the, the thing is that when you look at our infield, we've got two guys fighting for first base. We've got, you know, Andujar at third base, and it's, you know, kind of questionable with his glove, but I'm sure it'll be better this year than it was last year. We've got a second baseman who could play shortstop and could really play third if we need. And then we've got a, an all-star backup second baseman who could play short, could play first, could play third if we need in LeMahieu. So we've upgraded over Ronald Torres, but someone's got to go at some point because Didi's coming back. Well, and that's the thing. Unless Tulo's raking, I think he's, he, where, he can only do one thing. Yes. And I, they love versatility on this team. Yeah. That's a reason they signed DJ LeMahieu. That's a reason like why I don't think Greg Bird and Luke Voigt are going to both be on the team because they're one trick ponies. Yeah. Like they want they love having a million guys in the bullpen so they can just, you know, have their starter go 5 maybe 6 innings and then have that dominant bullpen come in. And if you have 12, 13 guys in the bullpen, you can't have a five-man bench. It just doesn't work out. Yeah, no. And it's just, you know, the economics of of a roster. You just have to figure out, you know, at some point someone's got to go. And you hope that whoever has to go can uh, maybe offer a little bit of, you know, a little bit of a return in a trade. Otherwise, some people were just going to put out on the street or, you know, I, I think Bird still has options down the AAA. They both do. Him, him, him and Voight both have options. And, and it's like it's basically the only spring training battle that's going on right now, I think is the first base battle. And they're both hitting. They're both, ironically they're both like coming out swinging. They realize they're fighting for their life. Yeah, Voigt did play one inning in the outfield last year, so you never know. There's always a chance. <laughs> Maybe right field. It's small enough at Yankee Stadium. I like Voigt's look. I just like the way he looks. He just looks like yeah, a goomba. Uh, he just can't button his top 3 buttons because his pecs are just way too big. Yeah, I mean, it looks like, and this is going to get a little, like, very Bronx, but it's as if Brian Cashman just went to get a sandwich in, like, Morris Park and <laughs> saw a guy playing stickball really well and was like, ah, you know what? You're my guy. You got to come play. It's like the – I said the same thing about Todd Frazier. Like, Todd Frazier just looks like a construction worker that was playing the softball league that Cashman found. Uh, yeah. It's like the uh, trash-picking uh, field goal kick in Philadelphia phenomenon. With Tony Danza, like I uh, just picked this guy up, but Todd Frazier sounds like it. Like he's got that Jersey accent. Where uh, Voigt's from St. Louis, he's from St. Yeah. Louis, which I don't know anyone from St. Louis. But that's not how I picture people from St. Louis. No, not at all. Yeah, no, he looks like an extra on The Sopranos. <laughs> um, yeah, and and he's a ton of fun. He's a ton of fun. The excitement, the doing the Sammy Sosa hop when he hits a home run or even when he hits a ball to the warning track. It's it's infectious. So I just still think they love Greg Bird. And Scott and I talk about this every week that yes, Luke Voigt has the leg up, but in the back of their minds I still I still think Brian Cashman says, "Oh man, that left-handed swing of Greg Bird will be really nice in this right-handed lineup and if he can do what he did in 2015, I like it." Well, I think there there's that and there's a bit of, uh, like, sunken cause, just like, oh, we're already pot committed. Look what we've already put into him. Like, 
I think Bird gets a little bit extra just because if he works out, Cashman wasn't wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so you think Cashman's a little bit stubborn? Like whether, you know, even if, like instead of coming in at 50-50, maybe it was 51-49 just because like, well, like I don't want to be wrong. Or just the right. organization at whole. Not saying even just Cashman's ego, but like as a franchise, you don't want to be wrong. Well, they've they've pretty much been betting on him since Mark Teixeira retired, and every time it's not worked out. Yeah, and I, I I've bought in every year. I mean, the year he had a, the monster spring, and I was like, oh, Greg Bird's going to be MVP. And even the next year, I was like, oh, Greg Bird's healthy again. He's a number three hitter, and it just never works out. Maybe maybe once everyone including me, gives up on him, that's when he'll actually do something. It's a combination. Like, he's got to stay healthy, and then once he got healthy, then he just couldn't hit. It's it's weird. He's just – he's got to put it together soon. Otherwise, like, we really do have to move on. Well, I think I think they if, – if he's not doing it or he's hurt and Voight actually plays well, then that's it. Then, then they move on because then they have someone else. The, pro- the, the problem the last couple of years is – the alternative was Chris Carter or like Neil Walker, and that's just not sustainable. Yo, I just got my chest just got tight when you said Chris Carter. Like <laughs> I felt go. that. I felt that yeah. in my chest. Yeah. The, uh, Remember when he almost got a- hit in the head and still swung at it? <clears throat> oh man, he's so bad. He was so bad at baseball. I don't know how he hit forty home runs for the Brewers. With his eyes closed. It's crazy that we got him as the NL home run champion, and then we got Stanton the next year as the NL home run champion. What oh, a, believe me. What a huge I've difference. made that comparison before. Uh, that was when I was mad at Stanton after those five strikeout games. I made those comparisons. Uh, he'll, Not my proudest <laughs> moments. <laughs> uh, the other thing is, is Clint Frazier. And um, people, you know, people are very interested in Clint Frazier, I think partially because He's been a prospect ever since the trade deadline when they traded Andrew Miller, but also because he's very active on social media. And like it or not, he's very confident in himself. He wants to do big things. He wants to make the team. Boone told him, though, just concentrate on playing. And it kind of makes it seem like they plan on starting him in the minors unless there's a major injury on the roster. I, I think that major injury would, have, would obviously have to be to an outfielder or else they don't feel like they can get enough at-bats for him in the majors. Yep, so I think when you think about Clint, highly touted prospect, you know, as a a high school kid, got drafted in the first round by the Indians, gets, you know, and he was kind of, as he was coming through the system, and you got to be, like, really into baseball Twitter to, like, see these things, but as a minor leader, you know, he's in single A, double A, he strikes out, he's snapping a bat over his knee. Maybe you don't like that if you're running an organization, but as a fan, you see it and you're like, oh, this guy's fired up. Uh, he's got the red hair, which, you know, draws attention to him. And then he tries to be, you know, you know, he makes every effort to be in touch, touch with like pop culture, whether it's social media, fashion, music. You know, he's friends with Mike Studd and like, you know, up and coming rappers and things like that, which is in theory, when you were that age, it's everything you would want to do in your early 20s <laughs> if you're playing for the Yankees and you're a highly touted prospect. But. The Yankees don't want you doing that. They want you sitting at home, being quiet. If you're going to post something, make sure it's in a batting cage. And I think it kind of got to him of he was getting a lot of, you know, it started off with he was getting a lot of crap about his hair, the length, the color. Then he's getting, you know, is he ever going to, you know, pan out? Then the concussion stuff. 
And I think he came in with the right attitude and said, you know, he said it everywhere. He said it to you guys. I want to start for the New York Yankees this year. I think that's a great goal. I like to see that in him. I also think it makes sense for the Yankees to say, you're not going to do that. So just focus on being healthy, playing, and doing well, and then the rest will come. Yes, I, I, I agree with you. But I, I think, you know, obviously I can't get inside, inside of his mind. I don't know what he's actually thinking. But from, my, from what I see is that he thought by 2019 the job would be his. Yes. And it doesn't seem like it's going to be his in 2019, at least to start the season. And I don't know if he's the type of player to use that as fuel, motivation, to just go down in the minors and tear up the league and then come up and be the left fielder. Or if he's going to get pissed off and pouty and it's going to you know spiral out of control. I don't know what type of person he is. I don't know him well enough. I, I hope he uses it as motivation. But I don't know, because sometimes I see him sort of lose control of his emotions. I'm not talking about snapping the bat. Like, that's all in good fun. You strike out, you snap the bat, fine. But just like some of the stuff on social media, I think, can get away from him. Yeah. So I totally agree. I mean, he's 24. So you got to remember, he's 24. And at 24, uh, you're dumb. And when you're a 24-year-old millionaire, you're probably really dumb with your emotions. And what he... What he has to do is exactly what you said, is say, take this as motivation. Like, go down, murder AAA, and get called up. And, you know, when there is an injury and you get a chance, make it very difficult for them to send you back And there down. will be an injury. There's always an injury. Yes. There, there has to be an injury because that's just the way the world works. On the other side, and I don't necessarily want him to be thinking about a future outside of the Yankees, but let's just, you know, if he just goes and murders and becomes a trade piece— and, you know, he should just murder to the point where it's like, yeah, then fucking trade me and I'll go somewhere else and I'll be great. The Yankees still get a great return for that if he's right. playing well. Yeah, <laughs> right. If it, I don't want that to happen because I, I think he would be a lot of fun on the team. And we saw that in spurts, right? Like in 2017 when he came up and he got some playing time because of injuries, like he had the walk-off home run. He was wearing number 77. Like he was... He was, he was doing his thing. He was doing his part on the team. And I could see the future of him in left field, judge in right field, 77, 99. Like, this is fun. All right, I'm on board with this. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he's an exciting player, and he bought into it. Like, when he did the 77 thing, like, he bought into the idea, like, oh, well, judge is 99, so I'll be funny. I made a Mickey Mantle joke that the media, you know, Took out of control that I wanted, you know, seven to be unretired. That was, so I'm gonna that go was Susan it. Waldman's fault. That was I, I love Susan, but that was her fault. She blew that out of proportion. And so but he rolled with it. So it was like, all right, yeah. you know what? And that shows because you get free agents that, you know, sometimes don't want to come to New York because of the press. And, you know, you're, you're going to get scrutiny at a level that, you know, you're not getting in other cities. And he took that and rolled with it. And so I like that. And now it's just a matter of. Listen, it, it's a tough blow. Um, I'm a so I'm a wrestling fan. Like I enjoy pro wrestling. I did as a child, mm -hmm. and I now do as an adult as well. And nothing wrong with you that. hear these stories of guys who are who are wrestlers who are like eventually going to be. Ch you know, I was about to be champion, and because we know it's predetermined, they know that they're going to be champion. And then like I got a concussion, and then it never happened, or it took an extra three years before that thing I was right at the doorstep. You know, the doorstep of so. He just has to take that the same way. Like he he should be the starting left fielder for the New York Yankees, but he had concussions. We got Giancarlo Stanton. Now you just kind of kind of roll with that. It's one of those like, 
life's 10% what happens to you, 90% how you handle it. And we just got to see that 90% right now. And I also think that there could be a place for both him and Gardner to get significant playing time. I, this isn't the first time I've mentioned it, but like Brett Gardner always falls off a cliff in the second half because he plays balls to the wall every game in April. Like Maybe if he doesn't have to do that seven days a week in the first half, Brett Gardner could actually be useful in September and October, and Clint Frazier could also be useful throughout the season. So I still envision a, a way that they can both be on the roster. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's the economics of the roster. I mean, maybe with the with the bullpen we have, you know, we can clear up an extra spot because we're not as worried about it if the rotation's going well. Um, you know, but this, this is why Cashman makes the money he does and we don't. <laughs> well, one guy that is also making the money is Jacoby Ellsbury. And uh, Boone said that they'd know in a week or two whether he can resume baseball activity. Boom, I'll save you two weeks. No. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's a no. It's going to be a big fat no. That's a no for me, dog. Uh, he uh, Did you see that report like a couple weeks ago? Cashman said he's doing six to eight hours of physical therapy a day. That's so I guess I guess I guess the 50 hours a week is not is not working because he still can't do baseball activities. And that's the difference between physical therapy and baseball activity. And people are always like, you know, uh, if you're not a baseball fan, it's like baseball is not even a sport. Like you just stand around in pajamas outside in the sun. But he is if six to eight hours. That's got to be like two hours of massages, like an hour of just a tens machine on you. Like that's got to be that's got to be so relaxing. Uh, See, I think grueling (laughs) because after a while, that's just exhausting. Like, all right, but now with like twenty-one million dollars a year to do it, uh, it's not that exhausting. Yeah, Yeah, not that exhausting. That's a pretty good job. Maybe best job in America. It might be. be It really might be. And I, it's just all right. Let's say in two weeks they're like, "Yep, Ellsbury can resume baseball activities," and he's you know he can start a rehab or. Really, he could start an extended spring training, and now you've missed an entire year. So it's not even like we just need to – he missed three weeks, so he'll be ready three weeks into the season. He needs a full extended spring training. He could maybe be ready to be a shell of himself, which was already a shell of himself. He's like Russian nesting dolls of shitty now. (laughs) And, like, what does that even do for us? Like, what is that Well, that's the thing. They would have to be so desperate. And I think what they're doing is because they want insurance to pick this, pick the bill up. Yeah. So like, and the longer he stays away from the team, the more the more insurance money they're going to get, and the more they can justify this. So they're just they're just biding their time. They're they're crossing their fingers that everyone in the outfield stays healthy. But you remember April of last year, like in the matter of four games in Toronto, Aaron Hicks had a hamstring injury. Bill and McKinney came up and ran into the wall, and Frazier was dealing with concussion symptoms. So like. We had Shane Robinson because the the depth chart in the outfield was so thin. That would have been a perfect time for Jacoby Ellsbury if he wasn't made of puppy poo. But he is, and he's soft, and he's always injured. So, so many wrong things would have to happen on the Major League roster for Ellsbury to actually have to get his body in shape to come back. And I don't even think it could happen. I don't think he is physically able to play maybe the easiest professional sport other than golf well i think it so it's weird because i think of it from an insurance standpoint like we i just want the yankees to get the insurance money so at what point like once he's ready to do uh you know show up at spring training they got to start paying him again and then once he starts a rehab assignment it you know it starts the clock that he's got to come up so it's like i 
can't someone just you're not supposed to cheer for injuries, but like can't someone Tanya Harding him? <laughs> who who would they, who would Brian Cashman hire though? Whoever loses between Luke Voigt and uh Greg Bird. See, Greg Bird would get injured on the way to trying to injure injure uh Perfect Jacoby Ellsbury. Perfect situation. Greg Bird just trips into Ellsbury and they both go tumbling yeah. and they're And that's that's believable though. Yeah. That's a believable story if I've ever heard one. Yeah, I mean, I was so excited when we got Ellsbury, mostly just because I wanted... You were. I, I just wanted... We got someone from the Red Sox. That was a year when it... When we saw, made those signings that year, we got, like, him and Beltron and, and Ten- McCann. McCann, Tanaka. We yeah. were really grasping at straws for, like, we need a championship because we didn't have a farm system. We hadn't mm-hmm. had a championship in a while. They just lost Cano. It was a yeah. reaction to losing Cano. Yeah, so it was just all this false hope. Like, all this false hope blocking I was doing. I'm just like, yeah, no, we fucking yeah. got it. We just bought another championship. And I don't right. care if we buy it or earn it as long as we get one. Well, th- that's the problem is when you're spending all that money on, like, the 10th best free agent on the market, it's not quite as good as when you're just spending it on the best free agents on the market, like they did in 2009. Yeah, no, and... You know, it, it's totally right, and now we just need Ellsbury to move on. I liked the idea when they talked about us trading Ellsbury for Johnny Cueto, and they, they both sit out a year, and then maybe mm-hmm. they'd play. Insurance money. Yeah, yeah, everyone gets some insurance money. But why would, why would the Giants do that? Like, when Ellsbury – like, maybe if Ellsbury could show up to spring training and, like you said, play catch in some gym shorts out in the outfield, then maybe they can just, like, lie to themselves – and say that he can be a fourth outfielder for us, but the dude can't even get get out of a plane, get on a plane in Arizona, like out of physical therapy. Well, I mean, I'm not saying that it was going to be a smart move on their half, but it was like when you, you know, when you're a single guy, you meet a girl and she wants to go home with you, and you're just like, wow, this, I can't believe you're going to do this. You know, you just you, you don't stop her, you just keep going. Yeah, you don't question it. Yeah, you're just you like, roll with it. yeah. Um. Let's talk. Let's talk some contracts. So um, obviously the Hicks extension happened. Loved that deal. Loved the Severino deal. They're talking about maybe locking up Batances and Didi next. Um, and I think it's great. I think though, what happened with the free agent market with Harper and Machado all offseason scared a lot of these guys. And I think that's why we're seeing some of these extensions for reasonable money. I mean, I know people don't like the seven years on Hicks because he's going to be. You know, I heard, I heard I saw people criticizing that Aaron Hicks, they signed Aaron Hicks through the same age as what they would have had to sign either Harper or Machado through. And I get it. Like on the face of it, that looks bad. But then you look at the 10 million AAV and you're like, well, is it really that bad of a decision? No, I think, you know, Hicks was a great move because, yeah, at 36, when this is up, you know, at 35, Aaron Hicks is not going to be the center fielder for the Yankees probably won't even be an outfielder for the Yankees or on the Yankees at all because seven years is just so much time. Um, You know, a billion things could happen. But let's say Aaron Hicks, you know, when we got him, we were trading for a guy who was a very hype prospect that it just never really came together. And some people said he didn't get enough of a shot to play every day. And now that he's gotten that, he's putting up some decent numbers. It's tough to tell with the way free agency has gone the last two offseasons, but if Aaron Hicks was a free agent this offseason, normally a guy with his numbers right now gets four or five years at like $15 million a year. So it's the same money, but we just got extra years. And it's since it's so spread out, he's got a team-friendly deal. So if we want to trade him in 
two, three years. It's still not a bad deal to trade, especially if we eat, you know, $3 million a year. That's not that big of a deal for the Yankees or for another team to take on. And at the same time, if it really doesn't work, you can walk away from $10 million a year as the Yankees. Yeah, but I also think it's not like people saying, oh, well, now what about Estevan Florial? First of all, never make a decision now on something that's an unknown three years from now with Florial. But say Estevan Florial turns into the next great center fielder. Fine. You could still play Aaron Hicks in, in left field and right field as a, as a backup outfielder. He can do that. He's a switch hitter, and he can be versatile. And at $10 million a year, that's a pretty valuable option. And, yeah, you, you mentioned, like, what would Aaron Hicks get on the open market? I look at what Lorenzo Cain got like 16 and a half million a year for I think five years from the Brewers like that might be if Aaron Hicks backs it up this year and has another good year that might have been what he's looking at yeah and you can't say how can you sign this guy for seven years because we've got you know Florial who has never even been to Trenton so we're talking about probably two more years until he's ready or at a minimum a year and a half and he could turn into what happened with Gary Sanchez? We heard about Gary Sanchez for so long. Gary Sanchez was in the minor leagues for 20 years. I didn't mm-hmm. think he was a real person at a certain point because it's a name you hear for so long. And sometimes these guys don't develop as fast as you want. Then they, they can come up and let's say Florio's great in three years. I think he'll still be like 16 years old at that time. So we've still got a whole career of him. And at a minimum, we've secured the future of the franchise to have at least a decent outfielder for very little money for the next seven years it's funny you mentioned the Gary Sanchez like we well he was in the system since he was 16 so yeah we heard about him forever but you know who Adam McKay is yeah he, he did like the movies he did uh, Vice and the movies with Will Ferrell yeah he for whatever reason he named his production company Gary Sanchez Productions I know the reason so Gary Sanchez is the fake name Will Ferrell used at hotels when he was at like the height of his like fame. okay so he would just check and this was before obviously like gary sanchez was a good prospect in the yankees yep so adam mckay i forget who i think he's a st louis guy so he's uh he was a, like a, a baseball fan he's a big basketball fan and yeah so they were doing you know gary sanchez was just the the name that will ferrell would use and so then when they could start their own production company they were like oh let's just use that it was just like a throwaway thing and now Gary Sanchez is Gary Sanchez. He talks about and this it, on uh, Bill Simmons' podcast like two months ago. Okay, okay, yeah, and I, I, I just know that he, he the Gary Sanchez Productions, and I always was like, what, what the hell's going on there? But yeah, it's such a, it's kind of a ridiculous name. It's like Gary as as like normal white guy American as it can get, and then Sanchez. Like those two things don't usually you don't see those things together quite often yeah and when you think about it like it makes less sense for gary sanchez and more sense for just where you're like oh here's a weird name will ferrell came up with (laughs) right right. um and harper goes to the phillies he finally signs so the two biggest dogs on the on the market are finally gone uh he signs for 330 million dollars for 13 years no opt-outs he's his quotes about um, I wanted to as many years as I could get. I think it'll help me play baseball better. I'm going to recruit players to my team, and I want to know that I'm here for the re- remainder of my career. You know, it kind of sounds like he wants to be the LeBron James of a baseball team. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he's running for the mayor of Philly because I think Le'Veon Bell leaked DMs that Bryce Harper already sent him. Like, you got to come sign with the Eagles. We're going to get, 
You know, okay. we're we're gonna bring championships to this city. I mean, I'm well. He said DC in his press conference. Yeah. Well, I, I'll. You know what? That's he's been in DC his whole career, so it's fun. And for it's, like it's still he's still early in spring training. He's got to shake the rust off. Yeah. That's what I'm talking You're about, right. AJ. He's got he's got to get the reps. Well, he hasn't had the reps. They should have done a couple of practice uh, press yeah. conferences, a couple gym short press conferences. For him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Imagine you just see. You just see the first day of spring training, just all guys in gym shorts lined up in the outfield and going sitting down at a table with a microphone in front of it, just doing dry rehearsal of answering questions. So you laugh about that, but I there's some story about Derek Jeter and like he puts like training on like the the Marlins players. Like I believe press conferences and answering questions is part of it. Yeah, it's the. Um, uh, I forget what they call it. It's like the captains' club or something. Captains like is captains' camp. Yes. That's what yeah. it is. So, like, that's basically, I mean, it's probably not as dumb sounding as, as, like, sitting there and rehearsing with everyone, but they probably have to study, like, this is what you say, this is what you don't say. They do that with the, the Yankees do that, too. That's where he got it from. Because yeah. you got to bring in guys like Clint Frazier early and start talking to them, like, this is how we do things. You got to indoctrinate them. But I think, you know, with Harper, I mean, he pretty much said oh and we got to get mike trout in two years like in the middle of the press conference like he came as close and you know what i hope he gets fined for it because if they gave him like a twenty five thousand dollar fine for like hey you can't say that stuff like the league and he just said you know in an interview like yeah 25k like i don't care because like i love this city the place will go nuts mm-hmm. like everyone in Philly, like he's winning philly fans over beyond just his ability because like at the end of the day, like he's a weirdo Mormon, so that's going to turn off some people. Like the first time he goes zero for four in a game, there's going to be a lot of people down on like, say, you know, what what are you doing down there? This guy's got his magic underwear. You know, it, it's it, <laughs> right. If right. you get ugly, like we did with Stanton and his five strikeouts. See, that's the thing though. When you sign a free agent or you bring in someone from another team, they're not your guy yet. That's why A-Rod got all the shit in New York and Jeter never got any shit. They, A-Rod was putting up better numbers than Jeter was putting up. But no one would ever say a bad word about Jeter because he was our guy and, and we won championships with him. If Harper stayed in Washington, D.C., even if they never won a championship, he could have signed this exact same 13-year deal. He would have always been their guy that came up through their system. They would have loved him no matter what. Now, if he doesn't deliver a championship to Philly, they're not going to love him. Yeah, well, so the thing is, too, the Nationals offered him 10 years, $300 million. 300. And they were probably... The exact op- same deal as Machado got. There were probably opt-outs in there, and, you know, there, there were probably other benefits in that. But essentially, he just committed to three more years at far less money. Five million less AAV. It's kind of interesting when you think about it. Like, he got $25.4 million a year. And obviously, it's a it's a crap ton of money. Three hundred thirty million dollars is, is is a ton of money. After one hundred fifty million dollars, it doesn't matter. The money doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> well, I've heard you say that somewhere before. before. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter, man. I worked for a guy who sold the company for like hundreds of millions of dollars. I just asked him one time, like we were out drinking. I was like, "What's it like to have that much money?" And he goes, "Honestly, after one hundred fifty million dollars, it doesn't matter anymore." Well, but I think it matters to their egos. I think because, like, I think this was it, maybe it was an ego thing for Scott Boris, who who signed a thirteen-year, three hundred thirty million dollars. It's conveniently slightly more than Stanton's thirteen-year, three hundred twenty-five million dollar contract. Yeah, well, I think that I think 
Boris, like Boris needed this because I feel like he's losing players. Like players are less into just like I have to have Boris as my guy because owners don't like him. GMs don't like him. And to a certain extent, it feels like he's looking out for himself more than the players at times where, you know, I'm not going to criticize these guys for going out there and getting their money. But, you know, do you, your ego's great. I don't know how many guys are in the ego wing of the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Reggie Jackson, maybe, yeah. but he also <laughs> he also won some World Series yeah. and and was like one of the most clutch players in in playoffs. I mean, and I think comparing the two deals, like Machado, I'm curious where he gets traded in like three years. Like Manny Machado is not winning a World Series for the San Diego Padres. It's just not happening. I do think Bryce Harper will win a World Series in Philadelphia. Well, I mean, it's easy to say, though, because um, the Phillies got a lot better this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, they got three all-stars from last year in this offseason as position players, so, and I don't think that's happened before. Right. Like, they they are probably the favorites to win the NL East this year. They so, are. like, I, I get why you're saying that, but at the same time, the Padres have one of the top systems in baseball. So, like, what happens if their prospects all pan out and Machado's just raking in his prime for five years? Well, it'll be the first like, time that's ever happened, that all the <laughs> all the prospects have uh, panned out. You don't remember 1998? Yeah, they made it to the World Series. Was that all because of their prospects or because Ken no, Caminiti was juiced up? And uh, uh, Greg Vaughn and, and Tony Gwynn was just always Tony Yeah, Gwynn. I mean yeah. – I just don't, you know, at a certain point, the Padres are the Padres. I get it. Yeah. And I think Machado just wanted to, when he realized the Yankees were not going to offer him near top dollar, he was like, all right, give me the most money I can possibly sign for. Yeah. I think one, I would have liked one of them to just take like 40 million to go to Japan for a year. Well, I mean, there were rumors, there were reports. I don't, I don't know if these are confirmed, but that the Dodgers offered something like forty million a year for four years for Harper. Like, yeah, I saw it was like forty-five, and I had heard that there was an owner in Japan who had reached out to Machado's agent and was just like, "I got like forty mil for one year." Yeah, and that, but that would have been that. That would have been just unpre- That would have been hilarious, actually. Yeah, that I, you know, I enjoy a little chaos. As long as it's not for the Yankees. Like, it would have hurt the Yankees zero. Right. It actually would have benefited them because now he, he definitely couldn't play against them yeah. this year. Um, you mentioned, like, uh, players maybe having enough of Scott Boris. You know who fired Scott Boris a couple years ago? That's Nolan Arenado, and he ended up signing $260 million extension without Scott Boris. He's so good. And that's something Scott Boris never would have allowed. He always has his guys go to free agency. Yeah, no, he doesn't. He doesn't let the extensions because he, you know, he also says it's like for the good of the game and like the players association. So that's one thing where like the players association likes him because he's always looking to get the most money. Whereas if let's say Machado just said, you know what? Like I only need $20 million a year. Like Yankees, can you do like eight years, 20 mil a year? Like I'm good on that. I'll make more money off the field. The players association would have tried to like veto that contract because he'd Absolutely. be worth more. Arenado, I think it's smart because it takes a distraction out. Um, he secured his family for you know generations and generations. 
Um, it takes for us, like, we don't have to worry about, you know, now Arenado is going to be a free agent, you know. Well, see, that's the, that's the thing that I find hilarious. Like, the, the small sector of Yankees fans that just want to go out and sign everybody, like it's MLB The Show. And it's like, okay, they didn't sign Machado. Oh, maybe they'll sign Harper. Oh, they didn't sign Harper. Okay, well, Nolan Arenado is going to be a free agent soon. Oh, no, shit, Nolan Arenado just signed an extension. Mike Trout, 2021. It's just like always the next free agent when you look at it. And the Yankees have superstars on the field. They made a lot of good acquisitions this offseason. Maybe they're not Machado or Harper, but they made smart acquisitions, smart extent extensions, and they're projected to be the best team in baseball this year. They won 100 games last year. And the only reason that they didn't win the division and the World Series is because everyone on the Red Sox had the best season they've ever had. Like, everything panned out. Your ideal Padre scenario for Machado – Happened in Boston last year. Happened in Boston. So yeah. it's just like our team this year is better than it was a year ago. We won 100 games. Maybe we won 100. Maybe we won more. Maybe we won a little less. We're going to be in the playoffs because we've built a team that's got depth, and and that's awesome. I am also – so, like, I understand why we don't buy these guys – like, why we don't get everyone. I'm also – whenever someone's available, like, yeah, we should have got Harper and Machado. You know why? Because it's not my money. It's not my money. But, but but can you also look at the team and say, well, it didn't it didn't I could have I, I had a scenario in my mind where if they decided Machado over uh, uh, Miguel Andujar, like I get it. Machado's a better player than Miguel Andujar. Use Andujar at first base or use him in a trade piece. And if that was the route they wanted to take, I would have been a hundred percent for that. But I can also sit here and say, well, they believe in Andujar and they wanted to shore up other aspects of the team, and that's what they did. If they just sat on their hands and didn't sign anybody, then I would have been ape shit. but that's not what happened. Yeah, no, they improved the team, and I also get to a certain extent, If you let's say we went out and we got Machado and Harper because like the money doesn't matter. Like It, it can be too much. It's just like, ah, now we got too much team. Like What do you do? You lose one game, everyone's going nuts. You know? So we have a very good team. I would have liked to get Machado. Um, Harper, I never thought was an actual fit, but it's weird. Cause this guy just got $330 million. Like, I kind of feel bad for Cause he always wanted to be a Yankee. Always did. <laughs> always did the right thing to make that happen. And just <clears throat> Stanton came available a year before. Right. Like Harper would shave every time the Yankees were in town just to make it known that he's willing to shave. When we made up a game late in the season, he showed up to the clubhouse clean shaven with a first baseman and asked if he could play first base. And the manager was just like, I'm not letting you audition for these guys. See, don't you think he's a little, he was a little too desperate though. You got to play hard to get at a certain point. Yeah. No, you know what? Shoot your shot, shoot your shot, Bryce. I mean, it all worked out for him. He also did sign in the city that's closest geographically to New York City. Yeah, I mean, he gets to play the Mets. The Yankees play the Phillies every, like, 10 years or so. So, See, I think the Mets would have been perfect for Bryce Harper. But, yeah, they're just not going to they're not gonna spend any the money. Mets. They're not going to do that. Yeah. yeah. they rather they rather pay. You know, they rather get a discounted Robinson Cano than, than Bryce Harper. And who knows? Like, hey, they could be decent this year. But now you're – like, the Phillies are a juggernaut. I agree, and I think... And the Braves are... The Braves, like, their team's coming together. And the Nationals yeah, are still better than the Yeah, they didn't actually do anything, though. The, like, I, I was reading some things, um, you know, uh, I saw some angry uh, Braves Twitter. Um, I don't know how it ended up on my timeline, but they're pissed off. They haven't really done anything on the market this year. And they were one of the best young teams in baseball last year. Yeah, I mean, they still have a core. It's just, I don't see... 
things going well for the Mets at any time soon. No, see, the Mets are one of these teams that, like, if the stars align, they'll win 86 games or 87 games and, like, maybe be fighting for the second wild card at the end of September. And that's just enough. That's perfect because that gives Mets fans some hope so we can actually see their hearts get ripped out. And it gives their ownership <laughs> enough to be like, see, look, we're right there. Like, we don't see, need we tried. Yeah, like, we don't need a big piece. We just need four more games, Scott. You know, like, we don't need to go yeah. to someone who's going to give us a war of you know, 10 or five, we just need to get like eight guys who will each give us a quarter of a win. Maybe we just need Cespedes to stop chain smoking and playing golf and actually play baseball. Maybe that would help. I can't wait till Robinson Cano plays second base in a chair this year, just a folding chair. <laughs> I still am a, a huge Robbie Cano guy. So, Let, but I, I, I can't wait. I just can't wait to hear the stories. Like now that he it, like gets to go back to Hoboken, like he used to, he was the king of Hoboken when he was young. He was him and Melky Cabrera. Well, I know they used to party all the time. I didn't realize it was in Hoboken. Was, I guess though, at the time they were both young and Hoboken is just like right out of college. And Hoboken so. was like kind of off the radar for like paparazzi right. or anything like that. So they could just be right. in and out of Hoboken real quick. Uh, that's actually not that's not a bad there's move. no Although parking Hoboken's farther away from Queens than it is the Bronx yeah but like there you know there's not really good parking Uber wasn't a thing cabs are tough in Hoboken you just offer girls a ride home <laughs> um but I also find it like I I you know 13 years can you imagine the outrage if uh the Yankees gave out a 13-year contract even if it was for Bryce Harper there would have been so many fans pissed off that they signed up for 13 years of somebody so it's so, it's such a hypocrite I find Yankees fans to be very hypocritical. Here's the only way you make Yankees fans happy. You win every game. Ever. Like that's and it's, it's, you win every game. Pretty much true. You make bleachers tickets five bucks. You <laughs> after the fourth inning, uh any open seat can be moved down to. And mm-hmm. um and you make all the bars have uh four dollar beers uh, like across the street. Billy's done everyone's got a four dollar beers, every Yankee fan's happy. And that's the only I also way. think there needs to be some public shaming of Randy Levine and Lon Trust in there somehow. Yeah, maybe, you know, and also go back to like the 70s when you could leave the stadium by like walking onto the field and like out of gate in center field. Like that's the right. only way that you can make all Yankee fans happy because there's the Yankee fans. It's just it's such a mix of people who like people who know baseball and who love baseball. There's a, a ton of Yankee fans that do that. There are people who just love the Yankees to love the Yankees. There are people who love uh, spending uh, the idea that the Yankees spend the most money. And like, so you find all that together and that's how you end up with, you know, some of like Yankees Twitter. I don't really see other teams Twitter, but Yankees Twitter has got to be one of the worst Twitters. It's it's one of the worst Twitters because it's got the most amount of people that care. That's the thing. Like, like I, I joked about Braves Twitter. Like Braves Twitter com- is composed of seven people, whereas Yankees Twitter is millions of people. So the more people you get, the more idiots are going to be involved. Yeah, we just listen. There's no way that we can lose a single game if CC Sabathia loses a game as a fifth starter. Like, that's the other thing. Like, we don't move it along. Like, C. Sabathia is fifth starter. He used to be the ace. Now he's the fifth starter. Just measure him as the fifth starter. We have the best fifth starter in baseball. But right. five-inning guy who's going to keep you in the game. That's exactly what you want from your number five starter. And then, as a bonus, he's willing to fight everyone. And, <laughs> yes. you know, 
So, but people are going to be like, this is bullshit. Like, da da da. You know, why don't we have, you know, whoever? You know, why don't we go out and get, you know, Scherzer this year? Why don't we force a trade? That could have never happened. Right. All right, let's do some mailbag questions. Actually, I'll lead it off with one guy who's still out on the free agent market. Uh, Dan Wisniewski. Oh, God, I butchered that. At SoulflyTribe99 on Twitter, why is Dallas Keuchel still a free agent? Is there an injury or something wrong with him? Why haven't the Yankees pursued him? And then related to this, Caleb uh, at Caleb Espinoza 5 were there any moves you wish Cashman would have made, or do you think he won the offseason? So Dallas Keuchel is one of those guys that I don't think they're going to sign. I don't know where he's going to sign. But like you said, if CC Sabathia is struggling this year, it's going to be, well, why didn't they sign Dallas Keuchel? Yeah, I. so I don't know why he's a free agent. I th- it's a weird free agent market. It's possible collusion. Um, I'm really worried about a work stoppage. Uh, it, you know, as just like as a baseball fan, I remember yeah. being a baseball fan as a kid. I was nine years old for the last strike, and I just remembered how much that stunk and how tough it was for baseball to come back. If the if we do have a work stoppage, they do have to turn their backs to steroids for like three years to win the fans back, like they did last time. <laughs> that's true. So that that's uh, that's the silver lining. Like that's our proven solution. Like I could see when baseball, if there is a strike when it's over, they. You know, they have to bring in a strategy team or consultants or Deloitte, you know, something like that or a marketing agency. Be like, All right. So how do we do it? And like just number one, steroids, like just let these or number one, steroids, number two, aluminum bats. That's how we get the people back or both. And you got Aaron Judge doing steroids and playing with aluminum bats and he hits like 105 home runs in a season. Love it. Love it. Sign me up. So, and that's how you sign up the women and the children. And that's that's how you get to the purse strings. Um, well, see, I think with the, the work stoppage, I think it's so 2021 is when the CBA is up. I think we're so far out from that and there's going to be so much talk about it. I don't I think there's going to be too much lead up to it that I think something's going to get resolved. I don't exactly remember what happened back in 94. I was six years old, but I'm looking at it now and I can see that there's they're trying to address these issues now. There's too much to be lost at a work stoppage. Something will get done between now and 2021. I hope so. And that thing may be getting Dallas Keuchel a contract. I don't know where he's going to go. Like, Arietta got, you know, he got a big contract very late into spring training last year. And it could be a situation like that, or it could be a situation where some team... It's also weird because Keuchel has now, he's won a World Series. So... There's not the, like, oh, I need a World Series where it's like, I don't know, you call the Phillies. Like, what do you got for three years kind of situation? I don't think it's going to be the Yankees because I don't see them, you know, wanting to give the money he's looking for unless his price drops. Like, I never count Cashman out because at the last second he might just, you know, call up. And I like to think Cashman pretty much tells every free agent, uh, you know, their agent or just directly the free agent, go out there, get what you're going to need, just call me before. Like, I think Machado, there was a call like, hey, we got 10, we got 300 for 10. And he's just like, all right, hey, good for you. Yeah, I I agree. I think he's, I think he's in on everyone without being totally in on everyone. And for Keiko, it's a, it's kind of like the perfect storm of bad things for Keiko because he's still a good pitcher and he was a good pitcher last year. He pitched over 200 innings, but he's 31 years old, clearly past his prime. He's dealt with injuries in two of the last three years. And with the way the market is going now, teams are, will spend a hundred plus million dollars on a 29 year old, but they won't do it on a 31 year old. It's just, they see that number three and they're scared. And 
if this were 2014, Dallas Keuchel would sign for $26 million a year over five years, and he would have done it back in December. But it's different now, whether it's collusion, whether it's uh, different analytics departments taking over and there's new statistics and new metrics to say that this is not smart business, whatever the reason, I think it's a combination of all of the above. 31-year-old Dallas Keuchel's don't get $100 million. No, no, and he, he's not going to. So then it just becomes like, can you find a place that, you know, makes sense for your family? It's kind of weird. Once you turn 30, it just really becomes like, you know, do you have a family? Can you know, where can we be for a long time? Uh, and then how can I secure like, you know, the rest of, you know, everyone's, you know, financial needs. Right. Um, Dan Landau at NYC uh, Candy NYY fan. Okay. Uh, is it possible to platoon both left field and first base? Would it make sense if Frazier guard? Time out, time out, time out, time out. You read his thing as New York NYC F candy. It's New York City something FC and New York Yankees fan. I think it's like the soccer team and the Yankees. I just I wasn't even looking at like the list of questions, but just when you said candy, I was like, we're not reading fucking candy questions on this show, are we? I think it's New York City Football Club and New York Yankees fan. Okay, that's a good that's a good point. Way to go, Dan. Way to go. Hey, one oh two. Dan, don't forget who, edit. Don't for, no, don't edit that. Why would you edit that? <laughs> Why would you edit that? That's great show. Okay, you gotta leave that. Uh, Dan, you owe me a follow. Um, see, so here's the thing. When I copy these in, I don't look at the Twitter handles before. I just look at the question to make sure it's a competent question. And I really should start reading the Twitter handles because I am notorious for butchering names because I don't read the names before this show. Starts. Have you, so. have you ended up in one where you're like Dan Landown and you get something and it's just like the uh, six, not a uh, shit, man. <laughs> like you just pick one. It's like, God damn it. I picked 69. Yeah, but usually I'll catch myself before I like finish reading it. Where this, uh, this is a, this is a confusing Twitter handle. Listen, man, the Candy Man, Dan Landau. You got to leave that in. That's for the people. I actually think the Candy Man is a better Twitter handle than <laughs> NYCFC and NYY fan. Uh, I hope Dan comes to an event and walks up. It's like, hey, what's up? I'm Dan the Candy Man. <laughs> <laughs> Add some underscores in there or something. I know people aren't usually a fans of underscores or some capital capital letters is what you got to do. <laughs> anyway, would it make sense if Frazier, Gardner, Bird, Voigt all have good spring trainings? How would shortstop when Didi comes back if Tulo is Tulo? Are three platoons possible on a 25-man roster? So we kind of already touched on this, but it is absolutely physically impossible to have three platoon p- positions on a 25-man roster. Yeah, I mean, and you just... I think it just throws too too much rhythm at a place. Like I want guys who are playing the same position every day because they're just so good at playing that position every day. You do run into if you got three platoons, you run into like if you got two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and while none of these positions are as important as a quarterback, it's just Gardner Frazier, I think, makes sense because um, they can do multiple things where Frazier can play multiple outfield positions. Gardner can play multiple outfield positions. One of them's a lefty bat. One of them's a righty bat. Bird and Voigt, I think if they're both crushing the ball, they will try and find a way to get them both on the roster. But I think it's hard because that would mean Stanton needs to play more outfield to get one of those guys DH time. It's possible 
but it's not ideal. And then this this tool, like I still don't know, like Tulo is basically going to have to turn, like you said, back into Colorado Rockies Tulo because Tulo has not been great even with the Blue Jays when he was healthy. He was basically a slightly above league average offensive player when he came to the Blue Jays and then he got hurt. So like throw out his 2017 season, but 2015 and 2016 were pretty much like slightly above average seasons. If he's having a slightly above average offensive season and it's July and Didi's ready to come back, like, sorry, Tulo. Listen, I haven't been through, I don't have the same medical, you know, support that he gets. And I haven't, you know, played a bunch of major league seasons. But let me just tell you as another 34 year old man, Troy Tula Whiskey at 34 years old is not gonna, like, I hope he's serviceable. And you know what? If he's better than serviceable, that's great. But Troy Tulowitzki, when the all-star voting comes out, we're not going to see his name. It's not like I'd love to be wrong, but it's not happening. So we don't really have that much to worry about with the, the DD situation. Like this is DD's job. And especially because he's coming back from, you know, as an infielder, Tommy John surgery, and he had a, you know, an amazing arm. Maybe it'll be better. Maybe it'll be, still above league average, even if it got worse. So, you know, he's going to come back. He's going to be able to play. And Didi loves New York. So that's a big part of, you know, building out a franchise. We get a franchise shortstop who loves being in New York. He's not getting platooned with too low. And Yankee fans love Didi and want him to be locked up. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think there's anyone who's like, nah, maybe we shouldn't extend him. Right. Uh, Mike, that's an easy name to read. Vegas odds has the Yanks to win uh, the World Series 6-1, to one, and MLB.com projected the Yankees to finish with 104 wins and the Red Sox 95 wins. These are just merely projections. Taking into account the several moves made by Cashman to improve the team this offseason and the Sox neglected to better their roster despite losing their top two relievers in the bullpen full of holes, how do you see the AL East looking come the beginning, on, beginning of October? I wanted to read this question because I want to compare the Yankees and the Red Sox off seasons. I, I sometimes tune into Boston radio um, and they are, there's a lot of people pissed off that they did not address them losing Kimbrell and Joe Kelly, who were probably their two best relief pitchers last year. And they're going into a, uh, uh, a season with like, okay, let's throw shit against the wall and see which closer sticks. Like Matt Barnes might be their closer. Brazier might be their closer this year. So I think if, 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 you know, if put yourselves in their shoes and they are spending 200 plus million dollars and you're like, we just won a world series. We can win another world series and you're just going to completely neglect the bullpen. I would be pissed off about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, but at the same time, who knows what the hell they're going to do like in the season they could you know Kimbrel's still unsigned like Kimbrel's still out there and you can say that hey we're not talking to him hey we're out on him and but I don't believe that until the ink's dry on another contract it's like Cashman once you get to the level that the Red Sox have shown that you know they're staying at where they are you know going to look to compete every year um you know or they have the ability to compete every year I don't count them out. Uh, I do like that they made no moves. Um, I do like the idea that, you know, Chris Sale gets run down at some point every year. Or, you know, now I think there's a certain cockiness to David Price that, you know, oh, because he won a playoff game and they won the World Series, that works in our favor. At the same time, 
the Red Sox, you know, their ownership has shown that they don't really have a problem winning World Series and coming in last place. Right, and they're not going to come in last place this year because their offense is still sick, and I think the rotation is actually probably going to be better. I mean, and we haven't relegated you, the Orioles. <laughs> right, say what you want about Nathan Avaldi, but like he's probably going to have a solid year just to like annoy me <laughs> and annoy Yankee fans. Um, and so they've got like a solid rotation, but like with the importance of bullpen, like they got through the through the playoffs by using their starters in the bullpen. That does not fly for 162 games. No, it doesn't. It, it does not. And like I said, as a Yankees fan, I'm ecstatic for it. You know, in case anyone from the Red Sox listen, like you guys did a great job this offseason. Don't listen to the haters. Pat yourselves on the back. <laughs> head head down there to legal and get yourself a nice a nice lobster roll. Yeah, I mean, check out the Cheers bar. While yeah, like I'm, I'm here for you guys. You guys have done a great job. I mean, listen, the Yankees are they they're on paper the better team. Uh, I thought last year they were the better team on paper. I think at this point in spring training last year, actually, no, it was probably just past this point, uh, just before this point, we were the better team, and then they went out and you know they got JD Martinez. So I don't think they're going to add a lot of payroll, and I don't think they're going to get Kimbrel. So that works out for us, but. You know, until the games are played, I don't really count them out. You know, I'm always afraid of the injury bug with the Yankees. And, uh, you know, but I don't think on top of that, I don't think everything's going to work out perfectly for the Red Sox because last year everything worked out perfectly for the Red Sox. And I, and the Yankees didn't have things work out perfectly. Gary Sanchez was not the all-star player we thought he was. Aaron Judge missed six weeks. Uh, Didi basically disappeared for a full month. They had injuries in their rotation and they won a hundred games. Yeah. And you know, a lot of it was, you know, with Stanton not doing, you know, what we wanted him to do. And he was playing through injuries to play like 80 something straight games, you know, without taking a day off. And, you know, at the end of the day, he had a terrible 38 home runs. So, you know, like everything's going to work out for us. And the Red Sox stink, and Jason Veritek is a pussy for not taking his mask off. And that's all I have to say on that. It's a very healthy way to look at it. Yeah. George Anthony Turchik, uh, with the Machado and Harper deals each being above $300 million, what are the expectations for the extension the Yankees must give the institution Aaron Judge? So uh, last week or two weeks ago, Scott uh, dubbed Aaron Judge the institution. Um, and since I think the Yankees should extend him sooner rather than later, it's not going to be for $300 million because of his age. Uh, he's 20, he was 26 last year. He'll be 27 this year. Let's say they do it some point in arbitration at like 28 or 29 years old. I think you're looking at somewhere like a, a seven year deal, uh, for like 25 to $30 million somewhere, somewhere in that range. So he won't be a free agent until 2023. And so, yeah, maybe like 2021, 2022, we extend him. Um, I think, I honestly, I think you wait. I love Aaron Judge. I want him to make all the money and stay with the Yankees forever and be happy. But if you think about it, maybe you wait till the 2021 CBA. You see what that looks like. Like, depending on how you feel it's going in 2020, you're just like, ah, maybe we start to look at extending him because we think this is going to go in our favor or not go in our favor. Um, you know, at the same time, I think teams have the ability. And if you look at some of the contract contract structures that have gone out this year 
contracts that go beyond 2021, a lot of guys are front-loading it rather than back-loading so that they definitely get their money in case, you know, who knows what weirdness could happen. You could use an impending work stoppage as leverage to say, like, hey, let's lock you up. You definitely get that before, you know, who who knows what's going to happen. You use that leverage. But it's just so tough to figure out where the market's going to be because what's going on right now is it's just weird. It's such an anomaly that the owners are making more money and the players, while they're still making so much money, are not also seeing the same growth. Right, and I think right now it's benefiting the owners more than the players. So if you're the Yankees, you'd say, let's try and get this done sooner rather than later because I don't see things after the CBA, a new CBA, I don't see things getting worse for the players. No, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But so... You know, you never know. They may, and I don't want to see it happen, but there could be some kind of thing, you know, with like a salary cap or, you know, different different slots. You never know with all the numbers that are out there in terms of, you know, how, uh, how a Yankee, you know, how a player plays, how they move around, you know, in the field, how many steps they're taking, and then, you know, how they can calculate that into different slots or incentives and things like that. I feel like contracts are only going to get more complicated as things go on, as the, you know, as metrics do. So, you know, if you're the Yankees, I think if you're the Yankees and you can lock him up, uh, you, you maybe try to, but at the same time, he's so big and so tall and hasn't really put together, you know, in 2017, he, he got 155 games or so. Uh, but last year he had an injury, you know, he's a bigger guy. The body's going to break down sooner and he's not very young. I think you ride out the next two years before you even really start to look at it. You're like, there's certainly, I think, uh, argument for that. The problem is that they've they've hitched their wagon to Aaron Judge being the face of the franchise. They put the judges' chambers in right field. It, they it, it really they don't want it to get ugly with Aaron Judge. If there's one player they don't want it to get ugly with, it's Aaron Judge. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he goes. I don't think he goes to free agency without a contract. Uh, without an extension, I just because I think he wants to be a Yankee too. I just think you you don't rush to it. You try to avoid going to arbitration because you don't want like another Batanza situation. But like right. realistically, he's he's a big guy and he is the face of the franchise. The Yankees have made him the new f- face of the franchise. Uh, but let's say in two years. He had like a, a really bad injury and missed a lot of time and didn't bounce back. We're just 35 home runs by someone else away from a new face of the franchise. Like that. <laughs> I don't know. That's how we do. We move on pretty. We'll move on pretty quick. Glaber Torres, maybe. Yeah, it could be Glaber. You know, it, it could be anyone. But again, you got to factor in. Judge is, you know, he's older and. He's so big. It's just that's the thing. No one has had a long, successful career at his size. Besides LeBron it's James. True. It's true. It's true. Different sport, but yeah. All right. Final question. Uh, we got this uh, last week. It's from Marrying a Sox fan. On June 30th, I'm getting married to my, bo- my boyfriend of the last five years. I was born and raised in Massachusetts as a Yankees fan. He was born and raised on Long Island and grew up a Mets fan and became a Red Sox fan when he moved to Mass for college. Do you have any marriage advice for rival fan bases at the wedding? So, JJ, you are married. Um, I am. I am getting married this year. 
Luckily, Leanne uh, is a Yankees fan by default. She doesn't really care. But uh, since I'm a Yankees fan, she's a Yankees fan. Same. Is your wife? Does your wife care? No. So when I, so my wife's from South Jersey, so like Philly, you know, everything. And when I met her uh, a thousand years ago, she was just like, oh, I'm a, you know, she had a Terrell Owens Eagles jersey. They, Terrell Owens was still here. That's how long ago it was. And she was like, ah, oh, you know, I'm a pretty big Eagles fan. And I was just like, ah, oh, yeah, like I'm a, you know, big Yankees fan. And she was like, no, 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 but like, I'm a pretty big Eagles fan. I was like, oh, so you have like season tickets? She was like, no, but like, I watch every game. I go, oh, okay. So this is different. Um, you'll see in February. And she goes, February? That's not baseball. And I said, you'll find out. First game I ever brought her to, I was just like, we're just going to dive right into this. We're 21 years old. I'm going to bring you to a Yankees-Red Sox game, old stadium, sit in the right field bleachers. And uh, some things happen in the game. There's yelling. You know the bleachers. And we get in the car to drive back to school. And I look at her, and she's got this like weird look on her face. Like she just saw a ghost. And I was like, what's wrong? And she goes, you called a grown woman a <laughs> to her face because she was wearing a Red Sox shirt. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, I can't believe she did that. <laughs> and <laughs> she was just like, the shit are you talking about? And then it was like, I don't know, maybe like the fifth time we went, we went with some of my friends, and it was a Yankees-Red Sox game in the bleachers, and a brawl broke out, and, like, we were in it. So it uh, I was a young man from the Bronx at the time. Not your proudest moment. No, 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 I've – recently matured enough that i don't you know i won't get in fights at the stadium uh or really anywhere well, the thing else. is with the the bleachers in the new stadium i feel like because you can sort of flow in and out of them more they're not like the old bleachers were secluded like it's, you basically had to go to a separate separate entrance, entrance. it was so get dark into them. in the like yeah. it was always it was a basement it was, it was a dingy basement. it was always wet it was like a public restroom <laughs> the walls were always yes. wet a big German shepherd had just shook out in the bleachers yeah. somewhere. Oh, uh, Matt. And now they're nice. It's like the bleachers are, is a nice ticket. Yeah, it's a great time. Um, yeah, so there's less anger. And just uh, too many people have too many World Series. But so she's become a Yankees fan from that. She goes to a ton of games with me. Um, but in for this email, I'm just I'm so confused. You grew up a Yankees fan in Massachusetts. And like you're a Yankees fan from Rhode Island. So, yeah, no, it's not like my dad's side of the family is from New York. They grew up. Yankees yeah. Fans. Like you, you side with the family wherever you reside. So I so, get it. That's so that I'm weird. giving her. Yeah. So I'm giving her benefit of the doubt that I'm sure there's more to it. Like, you know, my family, whatever, um, because you never know. She could end up being like her fiance here who grew up a Mets fan and then became a Red Sox fan. You, what? Yeah. You got it. You got to call this off. You, well, that, that's not a real that's he didn't grow up a Mets fan. He grew up with like a Mets poster or a Mets hat and went to a few Mets games. He wasn't a Mets fan. I, I don't think you can be a fan of any team and just switch in your in late in your life. It's not possible. But like, let's say I, we don't have a name here, but let's say Sarah wrote this in. But like, yeah, right now he's a Sarah fan until he finds a college something. You can't trust this guy. Listen, it's just. Like you just how do you trust a person like that going to school in Philadelphia for college when I came down, I had never met anyone who wasn't a Yankees or a Mets fan. I had just never met one growing up in the Bronx. I had one Jewish friend and he was a Mets fan. So I thought Jewish people were Mets fans. Um, and when I got here, I met a guy who was like, uh, you know, when I'd say I'm a Yankees fan, people would be like, oh, like, where are you from? And I'd say the Bronx. Oh, OK. 
Then I realized that there are Yankees fans that live in other places too. And like I met a guy who's from somewhere in the suburbs of Philly. And he was like, oh, I'm a Yankees fan too. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, like, where are you from? And he said wherever it was. And he goes, yeah, I switched in 96. You know, they got Jeter and I just knew. And I was like, wait, let me get this straight. You're 10 years old. And you knew you're the scouting department that decided Jeter was it. No, we won the World <laughs> Series. We had a guy who was banging young Mariah Carey. Everyone wanted to get in on that. But you can't make that switch. You didn't just switch to menthol lights from, you know, Marlboro Reds. You can't just make that change. And that's what this guy's going to do. Listen, at some point down the line, I don't want to jinx your, you know, your marriage, but he's probably going to have an affair. Because that's the kind of person he's shown that he is. That's uncalled for, JJ. I think nope. That's listen. <laughs> Welcome, JJ. He's, this happy couple is like six, five months away from marriage. Like it, 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 they're probably stressed out with all the wedding plans. Are we getting a band? Are we getting a DJ? Like all this stuff. Got to pick out the food. I'm going through all this stuff right now, so I understand the stress levels. They don't marrying a Sox fan doesn't need extra stress. Uh, with with baseball teams. Okay, fine. You're right. I'm just saying it wouldn't be a terrible idea to go through his phone. Um, <laughs> no, no, don't do that. Listen, marrying a rival, I couldn't really fathom it. I think, like, maybe you can have, like, fun bets on. It's kind of weird because, like you said, at the end of the day, this guy's a fan of no one. He's not a Mets fan. He's not a Red right. Sox fan. Normally, it's the other way around where it's, like, the guy's a fan, you know, like, you know, the guy's a fan of the Red Sox and, you know, your family were Yankee fans, so you kind of like the Yankees, whatever. This guy is a fan of nothing. I believe in nothing he says. But so you, you can't even, like, make, you know, like a fun couple bet because at the end of the day, like, this guy doesn't care. Right. And he goes from Mets to Red Sox. So you could say, like, enemy of my enemy is my friend because, like, Mets-Yankees is a rivalry. Red Sox, Yankees is a rivalry. Mets, Red Sox. I mean, the one World Series in the '80s, but they they don't really. I don't think those fan bases really dislike each other. I'm trying to also realize that, like, for someone you're married now, they're probably in their 20s, so like they weren't alive. Like I was alive. I was just born, but I was alive when they played each other. So I'd be like, you can't switch teams from teams who like played each other. So here's what I'm guessing happened. This guy went to college in Massachusetts, and then the Red Sox won the World Series in 2013. Yeah. And it was a, it was a, it was actually, I was in Boston, living in Boston at that time. I hated every minute of it, but I understood actually the city of Boston needed it at that time because the marathon bombings had just happened. And everyone got behind the Red Sox in 2013, and he probably got swept up in that. Listen, the marathon bombing was a terrible thing. You you turn your back on your childhood franchise. That's why, you, like you said, he was never a Mets fan. He was not a he Mets was fan. Never so a maybe these, he, maybe this happy couple finds like common ground in like a basketball team or a hockey team. Or maybe she just walks up to him, maybe like sack taps him, and is just like, "Listen, you got to man up. You're a Yankee fan now. Like that's what. Li- listen, this guy can be switched." We're viewing this. You know what? We viewed this wrong. I've been like tearing this relationship apart because I don't trust him at all. Uh, but this could be a recruiting mission. This is you could be doing missionary work marrying a Sox fan. I don't know. Like you go to the extreme of withholding certain things until he makes a change. But I think you can just win him over. I don't know where they live. Hopefully they live in New York or close to it and not Massachusetts. But I think you just win him over and you fully convert him. And maybe you don't tell him in advance. And then when it's done, 
you have him listen to this show. Right. That's the thing. We've got this podcast. We got your podcast coming out in a couple of weeks. There's going to be uh, a lot of opportunities with events this year. You could bring him to show him the fun and the camaraderie of Yankees fans. Bring him to an event. I'll meet him. Mm-hmm. I'll talk to him. I'll distract him. Start telling jokes, stories, things like that. And then you can just pull his phone out of his pocket and go throw it because I don't trust this guy. It's okay. a good plan. <laughs> Marrying a Sox fan, uh, I, I really do wish you all the best for June 30th. That's a London game, so you're gonna you're gonna be missing the London games too. So. Oh my god, what are you people doing? I, this couple, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope we don't get an email next week being like we played this segment for for each other and we are no longer getting married. I hope that's not what. Happens. No, I mean I hope they get married. I hope it works out. Or if they don't get married, it's because I was right. It's either that I hope you're happy or I was right, but not that mm-hmm. you're unhappy or I was wrong. <laughs> well, just I, I, you can you can live. Maybe he just goes back to being a Mets fan. I that, think go back to being a Mets fan. You can you can live in a household with the Yankees and a Mets fan. That that's fine. I just like will give. I will grant the power vested in me by Twitter. I will grant a one-and-a-half-year amnesty where uh, she can convert him. And we'll take him with open arms as a fan base. One-and-a-half-year starting now. Starting now. So trade deadline next year yeah. is basically like yeah. when it when the deadline yeah. is. Yeah, and then we're going to – yeah. Okay. And then, you know, then we got to go to the CBA. We, I like it. I like it. It's a good time frame. That's going to do it for this episode or this part of the episode because Ben Badler and Scott had a great conversation about a ton of prospects in the system and the international signing uh, period and all that information. Um, so check that out. JJ, um, we'll be hearing more from you. Uh, check out uh, the there'll be an announcement on this show. Um, you're going to be at spring training with us. Keith is going to be on the, the, the podcast as well. We're going to be getting all that information out. But Appreciate the time. And um, any last words? Yeah. Follow me on Twitter at JJ from the Bronx. Uh, follow me on Instagram, too. I, I want to get to 10,000 so I can do the swipe up thing. So like this podcast could be big. Right. You got to get. that. Yeah. I got to get that yeah. swipe. So, yeah. Follow yeah. me on there. Uh, if you follow me on Instagram, like it's a lot of pictures of my dog. And I named him after Jorge Posada. So there you go. You're you're oh, you're following the brand. Jorge or Posada. Uh, his name is Jorge Posada. P.A.W. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow him on it. Scott's dog. Scott's dog is Mattingly, so we got a Mattingly and a Jorge Posa yeah. in the in the Bronx pinstripes family. I yeah, I call him George though because I worry about the Trump administration. I don't want to start throwing Jorge around and lose my dog. <laughs> um, so yeah, follow me. It'll be me, Keith McPherson. Uh, we'll be rolling out the the name, the date, and all that. I think we're gonna put the first couple shows on this stream, so you'll be able to find yep. us and then find out where to to go to follow us but yeah i'm excited to be here i hope you like watching an overweight man eat food at baseball stadiums all right that's gonna do it for for us stay tuned for ben badler and scott and we'll talk to you next week All right, guys, I'm very happy to introduce our next guest, Mr. Ben Badler from Baseball America. Ben, thank you very much for coming on and joining us to talk about all these uh, these young kids that, that a lot of us don't know about. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for, for having me on. 
So there are some some household names that I know a lot of Yankees fans are, are very familiar with, and especially around spring training, we're starting to see these guys. You know, it's uh, it's always it's always laughable when we see that John Sterling and Susan Waldman are the radio voice of the Yankees. They don't get the uh, the lists in time, and then they have no idea who's out on the field. You know, come the switch in the third or fourth inning this early in camp, it, it makes for a very good radio. Yeah, it, uh, it's always a lot of new faces, especially if it's not the the some of the more prominent guys, if it's not, uh, you know, Estevan Floreal or some of the other right. top, top guys in the system, especially the Yankee system right now. I think you, you have a, you've, you know, you've had a lot of guys graduate, obviously, guys like Glaber Torres and Miguel Andahar, and, and then you've traded a lot of guys, whether it's Sheffield or, or uh, some other guys. So definitely a lot of young, young new names and, and faces. Yeah, it's a unique situation. And I think we've seen a few teams, you know, possibly go through this, you know, recently. Uh, the Cubs are one that, that come to mind. Just a lot of talent in the minor leagues where the system is so stacked. Uh, but these guys, you know, become relatively quick risers once they get to double-A, triple-A and, and become – and the situation is right. I think that's one of the biggest reasons. But the situation becomes right, and they're now they've, like you said, graduated to the pros. They're in the Bronx. And now we're looking at these minor league – uh, you know, the minor league teams and the rosters and, and where we knew every one of these guys beforehand. Now we're kind of scouring through and and trying to, you know, get more information to find out who these guys are. So uh, definitely appreciate you coming on and give more insight to everybody on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, too, it's, uh, you know, I'm just like looking over the our, we did our farm system rankings recently. And, you know, we're looking at systems like the Yankees and, and the Red Sox and the Cubs. And, you know, these are three teams I think have done really well in terms of scouting and, and player development. But uh they're all, especially the Red Sox and the and the Cubs, are really toward the bottom of our our farm system rankings. But uh, that's just kind of the the cycle that happens when you're having success and trading away players, and then you're picking at the back of the draft. So <laughs> it uh, just kind of comes in in cycles that way sometimes. Right, and for Yankees, it was such a different it was such a different approach when they when they decided to uh, you know we it's really a retooling rather than a, a break it down rebuilding because they did it so quickly. Cashman was you know, acquiring, acquiring high level guys via trade. And, you know, they just started turning over their, their roster to the, the minor league guys pretty quickly and then started having success. So, you know, this was something different because obviously, you know, when you're looking at previous Yankees teams in the past, you know, 10, you know, almost 15 years, you're looking at, you know, the approach was Yankees will trade their guys for, for major league players. And, and mm-hmm. that was, that was what was happening for a long time. There was never really a, uh, a well to go to for for Yankees, you know, for for top talent to come in and really help you, but that's very different now. Yeah, yeah, and it, uh, it's it's fun it's fun to see them coming up and having success with these homegrown guys, whether it's obviously Judge or uh, Gary Sanchez or Severino and um, you know <laughs> Andahar. There's there's uh, it's fun to see uh, you know how, however you, however you build the team if if you're winning the the AL East or, or just getting to the playoffs. It's a, it's a success, but it's, it's, I think it's just fun to see these guys come up, up through the system from the time they're assigned as uh, international free agents or, or drafted and be able to, uh, you know, have that even longer term connection with the, with the fan base to, to go on and, and have success at the, at the major league level. No doubt. I mean, we were hearing about Gary Sanchez when he was 16 years old. So he's, oh, yeah. he's been I mean, around he, for a long time. <laughs> I think we probably put Gary Sanchez. Let's see if he signed in <laughs> what 2009. I think he was in our Yankees top 10 at, at least six or seven years in a row. It, it definitely starts to get to the point of prospect fatigue, I think. Sure. And then, but then you look up and you're like, wait a second, like this guy's still like 22 years old and in Double A, like that's <laughs> this guy's like right where he he's supposed to be. You know, we're getting a little. Uh, 
uh, I think our perspective is getting a little skewed now in terms of what a uh, guy like Juan Soto and uh, Vladdy Jr. and Ronald Acuna are doing by racing to the big leagues. That's, you know, there's there's certain aberrational guys that, that do that, but mm-hmm. it's uh, certainly a process that requires a, a lot more a lot more patience, especially with those guys and you're signing them at, uh, at 16 years old. So talking about more of a, a very high level and just kind of looking at how the, the, the teams are approaching signing some of these guys, I'd like to get your perspective on the relationship in today's game and the way that they evaluate these players, whether it's international pool or, you know, for the draft in college, what, what are they doing? Or, you know, is there a a nice ratio or is it just a a blend of, of, of both? But when we're talking about the sabermetrics and all the numbers, obviously the Yankees spend a lot of money and they have a lot of employees who are working on the, um, you know, the mathematics of baseball and making sure that uh, they're, they're getting guys that they expect to do well in their park and against their competition and then you have the scouts as well, who I'm sure have, uh, you know, a level of the numbers in their heads, but they're more of the traditional scouting department where they're seeing, you know, the way that guys are, uh, you know, their mechanics, they're looking at the, the, the way that they run, the way that they field, all these different things. How are teams now combining, you know, for lack of a better term, the eye test and the numbers? Yeah, I think it's it's a blend of both. And the the lower down you go, the the more importance, it co- the more uh, firsthand scouting, uh, experience comes into, uh, in, in terms of a heavy comes into play with a, a heavier weight on that. I mean, you know, you're looking at a, a college player. All right. Well, you might have access to, uh, you know, track man type information or, or, uh, you know, analytics in terms of the, the exit velocity of, of a guy or, or spin rate on his, uh, you know, variety of, of pitches, uh, there, there's there's a lot you can do in just in terms of I think frankly video work that is is extremely important. That's sort of a blend of of technology and 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 just evaluating what you're seeing uh, with with your eyes. I mean I think that's actually a, a super important yeah, component of, of of evaluating these players. I think it's lost a little bit when everybody gets swept up in some of the the, the very newer analytics that are, are coming out, but. Um, you know, the, the lower down you go, I think, uh, especially internationally, the uh, and then and at the high school level as well, the more grassroots scouting becomes important. But but even there, uh, you know, teams, uh, including the Yankees, are, are using tools like uh, flight scope or or blast motion sensors, where you can put a a sensor on on a kid's bat uh, to to track uh, his bat path to to measure his bat speed. Hmm. Um, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of tools, and I think the Yankees are probably uh, one of the leading organizations in terms of uh, using those types of technological tools, but um, you know, uh, you know, the lower down you go, especially for high school players, international players, uh, the more important grassroots scouting really becomes important, and and especially, you know, internationally, you know, where whereas in college or or even high school, to to some extent, you know, you really know, everybody kind of knows who the top guys are to to be looking at. Uh, internationally, you, you kind of you have to go out and find them, right? So, like yeah. that's you know you, you you can't get any data on a player that you know your area scouts have, have haven't gone out to actually uh, see themselves, who haven't, haven't actually gone out to find these players. So, uh, it's definitely a, a blend of both. But uh, the, the lower down you go, the uh, the more importance that that real true grassroots scouting comes into play. 
Yeah, you, you need numbers to analyze them, don't you? So you have to actually find the player before you can even get the numbers that sometimes uh, when you're talking about some of these other countries that probably don't have the technology or, or you know, the, the, the tracking ability of what you're looking for, especially some of these kids are, you know, starting so young. Uh, it seems like they're, you know, like we said, Gary Sanchez was, was uh, you know, signed 16 years old. That, that's, that's crazy when you think about all the different rules in pro sports in the U.S. Uh, that a guy – uh, could be signed for that young. So they're definitely going out and, and looking for this talent at a, at a super young age. And that's definitely a testament, I think, to the, the eye test and the, the scouts that know, you know, how to, how to identify a player. Yeah, as I think especially internationally, which is an area where the, the Yankees have had a lot of success, it's, uh, it, it's just totally different than – or it's, it's very different than the draft where, you know, if, if, if you had a – you know, if, if there was a first-round pick, let's say, in the draft and – as a as a club, you know, you had never somebody else takes a guy in the first round, and, and you had never seen the guy. Like your GM is going to be pretty pissed at your scouting director. <laughs> Whereas if a guy signs for a million dollars, sometimes out of the Dominican Republic or Venezuela, you know, a lot of times there's there's a whole bunch of clubs that never saw that player, so <laughs> uh, or at least uh, you know whether it's their area scouts or the international director, uh, it's just a very aggressive marketplace. So it's. Uh, it, it definitely comes down to having good people uh, on the ground to be able to uh, to identify those players to, to get them in front of the, the decision makers in the first place. So I want to make sure that we go through a lot of the, the Yankees specific players and, and some of the situations that the Yankees have currently. But I'd like to set the stage first for everybody listening. Uh, I, I don't think there's, you know, I don't think it's mainstream information to, to understand completely the international bonus pool and, and how the process works. So if, if you could kind of talk us through uh, the just, you know, how, how the, the Yankees acquire the money and how they're allotted X amount of dollars, because I know the allotments are coming up, what, March, April uh, this year. And, you know, they're going to have, you know, X amount of dollars to go out and spend. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, one prospect, Jason Dominguez. But how are they actually acquiring this money? And uh, also, we've seen in the past where the Yankees have traded for money. Uh, just just recently, last year, we've seen the Yankees go out and trade for money so that they can go and spend it in the international pool. It's becoming more of an emphasis, obviously. So where does this money come from? How does it get to the teams? And, uh, and how is it distributed? Yeah, so in the current CBA, every team has equal-ish amounts of, uh, of money that they're allowed to spend in their international bonus pool. It, it mostly ranges for about, uh, it's going to be about five to $6 million this year. Some of the smaller market or smaller revenue clubs get uh, a little bit of extra change to, to spend. But for the most part, it's, it's, it's roughly equal. Obviously the Yankees are in the, uh, not in that, <laughs> not in that extra uh, pool group. So, um, so you don't actually, nobody's actually giving them the money. It's just, all right, you're allowed to spend up right. to you know roughly $5 million. Now, like you said, you have the ability to trade up for uh, additional pool space. So you can trade up for an additional, I uh, believe it's this year, up to additional uh, 75% of your original pool allocation. So you can end up with you know uh, roughly like nine to 10 or so million dollars in your bonus pool and you know and that, that's and up isn't it it was 60 percent uh last year was that is that right yeah it's uh you know the, the exact number off the top of my head i don't want to uh get it wrong but uh yeah it's 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 something around that area and, and in previous years you've had 
you know, because in, in the previous collective bargaining agreement, you were allowed to go over your international bonus pool. Right. And if you did that, then you just couldn't sign anybody for $300,000 for uh, two years in a row, which the Yankees and several other clubs did. So you had every year like eight or nine clubs that couldn't spend more than $300,000. And they were saying, well, okay, we can just, <laughs> uh, rather than sign, you know, 30 guys for $300,000 each, let's, uh, you know, trade away some of our pool money. So you saw more trades that way. 2019, this, this coming signing period will be interesting because I think there's teams that are going to be looking to trade up for more pool money, but this is the last. It is, or this is, I should say, this this 2019, starting on July 2nd when the signing periods opens, it's going to be the first year where there's no team under that restriction. So everybody, for the most part, is going to be pretty aggressive <laughs> this year. So I actually think it's going to be a little bit more tricky to uh, to maneuver some of those trades. But I, I think we'll still see uh, some of them happen uh, in the end. And you, you talked about the the penalties as well. I, I think one of the one of the interesting parts when you're looking at how the the Yankees spent and then they were knocked down. I think it was 2015, 2016. They were under that penalty where they couldn't spend over three hundred thousand on a guy. And uh, that's I mean, 2015. You're you're looking at arguably one of the more impressive years that that was uh, from by the scouting department or by the the analytics department, whomever is all involved on this by uh, coming out with Floriel, uh, Garcia and Medina. So there's three three guys that are very highly, highly regarded, including the Yankees number one prospect coming out of a year where they didn't you know, they didn't have the uh, the maximum ability to sign players as far as dollars. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, like we we're talking about signing kids at 16 years old or, or when they become eligible at 16, there's. You know, I think we've certainly seen the the track record of the top top guys who are signing. Whether it's, uh, you know, our top four prospects right now are uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, uh, number two is Tatis. Uh, three is Eloy Jimenez. Four is Wander Franco. I mean, three of those four guys were the number one international prospect <laughs> in their signing classes. So, uh, you know, you're still going to have uh, you know whiffs and misses on on your big signings, but. Uh, well, you know, as much as the, the track record of those top guys is, is still really good, uh, there's still going to be a, a ton of value that, that you're going to be able to find if you have uh, both, both good scouts and, and you just sign a, a high volume of, of players as well, which, which I think the Yankees do a, a really good job of taking advantage of. So uh, that's how you end up with, uh, you know, guys like uh, Luis Severino or uh, Rolante Contreras, some of these uh, you know, or D- or Davey Garcia, like you mentioned too, some of these guys who aren't necessarily the super, super high bonus guys or high profile guys, but just from the fact that you're signing kids at 16, 17, there's, there's going to be a, a lot of variance there too. You mentioned before that the Yankees have uh, obviously a, a presence in a lot of these countries, specifically the Dominican Republic, where there's a ton of talent that comes out. The Yankees, uh, I know, have a complex down there. But what is their, what is their presence like in, in a country like Dominican Republic or you know, other countries that, that you're familiar with as well compared to other teams? Is it significantly different or you know, along the same lines as some of the other teams? Or how, does it, how, does that, how does it feel when you're down there? Yeah, they definitely have one of, if not the biggest scouting staff in in Latin America, uh, you know, Dominican Republic is, that's a country where everybody is, has just a, uh, a bunch of scouts down there. So you see scouts from, uh, from everyone down there, but whether it's, it's the Dominican Republic, uh, Venezuela, Colombia, Panama, Mexico, 
they they really have a large large group of of scouts and cross checkers and uh, you know guys who, who who are there to you know really help with the uh, you know data analytics as well. So they they really have a a a, a large group of uh, of, of scouts and, and also on the development side too, just obviously in terms of, you know, more guys who are, uh, you know, based in the Academy working with the, the guys who are already professional, uh, players who are already signed with them. But, uh, it's, it's definitely one of the, I, I think it's one of the larger international scouting groups of, of any team in the game. Yeah. It's interesting to, to know that I, I've seen some, uh, some pictures and videos of the complex down there. It looks pretty intense. <laughs> so, you know, comparing it to some of these other teams, I'd, I'd be surprised if I heard that, you know, some of these other teams uh, had uh, facilities that look like the Yankees. And obviously the Yankees are the Yankees, and that's that's a big deal for them when they can go to another country and spend as much money as they, you know, as, as they want, really, to uh, for to buy land and to buy, you know, the uh, spend it on the complex. So I'm, I'm, there's a it seems like there's a significant leg up when you're talking about the facilities. Yeah, yeah, I think there's uh, you're seeing more more and more clubs start to invest in their facilities in Latin America. So the the Yankees certainly don't have it. It's it's not old, but it's also not like one of these the, the super new type complexes. But yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely a good place for players to uh, to be. And there there's certainly some complexes where players are like, oh man, like I don't want to I don't want to be here. Like the the hot water never works. The internet's <laughs> in and out. Like all sorts of all sorts of issues. The air conditioning doesn't work. Like you know, where, where so, we come on, throw some names out here. Let's 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 expose these teams. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> for for another day, but um, but yeah, it's I, I think that the you know certainly the the Yankees have a place where it's you know the the player the players want to be there. So can't uh, can't say that about all the the facilities. So it's definitely uh, something that's uh, you know I think important to to have when you're trying to build a, a foundation for these kids really at the, the very lowest levels to, to have them in a, an environment where they're uh, not just comfortable, but, uh, but really happy to, to be there too. Okay. So let's dive into some of these Yankees prospects. Obviously the number one prospect right now on the Yankees, uh, Esteban Florial, who we've been hearing about for quite some time now. He was, you know, I think he was a guy when, when Blake Rutherford was drafted, uh, we didn't hear as much about Florial. He was kind of the, the name, um, that we started hearing after Rutherford was drafted as the other outfielder. And then uh, Rutherford got traded to the White Sox and then Florial became the big name. And, and I'm, I have to believe that a lot of, you know, some part of the, the prospects of Florial, you know, helped uh, the Yankees make that move and assisted in the fact that they, they had some outfield depth. Uh, can you talk to us about him? Cause I know he last year obviously uh, fought some injuries, um, but was really, if you look across the, the prospect rankings was a consensus top 100 guy and now we're not seeing any of the Yankees in the top 100s for Baseball America. So what was the reason Floriel was not in your rankings this year? And, and did you see a significant drop, you know, for other reasons than injury? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, like you said, because of, of the injury. How much of that, of that injury was masking, uh, you know, the, the, the performance that he had this year, which was, you know, just, just okay. Uh, it, it's, it's tough, especially those, those Hammett Injuries can really, you know, zap your power. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but with him, I, I think it's uh, the strengths are, are still the same strengths that, that we've always seen. He's just got a ton of tools, bat speed, uh, the the arm strength, the speed, uh, really fast hands. He's He's got power. I know he didn't really show 
uh, all that much of it in games this year. That I'm I'm not you know super concerned about by by any means. This this guy definitely has uh, above average raw power and and the bat speed and strength that uh, that shows. All right, this is <laughs> this is legit. This is gonna uh, you know th- this is uh, th- th- there's more power in there than than what he showed this year but the the risk is is still the same as it was before and and each year you go up and move up and you still have that risk uh it it starts to become more of a concern and and in his case it's it's it really stems around pitch recognition and plate discipline uh it seemed like his uh his timing was off uh, a lot last year again some of that you know how much do you tease out how much of that was his his injury and sure. and just you know missing time trying to work back to get that that rhythm and timing back but uh, i still think that there's uh, you know some significant red flags there with the uh, you know especially with that breaking ball recognition and and staying within the strike zone so i, I think there's you know there's significant upside if if everything comes together for him based on the just the tools that he has and, and, you know, he does have a track record of, of performing well, uh, you know, earlier in, in his career. Uh, so I don't want to overlook that either, but uh, this, this year was definitely a kind of a, a tricky one for him where I, I think he could, you know, by, you know, within the first month or a couple months of the season, we update our top 100. If he's, if he's dominating uh, the level he's at, he, he might jump, right back in there but uh, i think there's still some significant uh risk factors there that he's going to have to uh that he's going to have to address when you see red flags like that pitch identification uh you know controlling the the strike zone do you see more often than not young players can come out of something like that or is that one of those you know innate qualities that that's that's hard to you know make significant improvements as you're as you're moving forward because you know that's see the ball hit the ball if, if you can't if, if that's one of your issues is identifying pitches and and you know controlling that zone um seems to me that would be a difficult adjustment as you're moving through the ranks when players are when pitchers are getting better yeah i i think it uh, i think it depends on uh not on the individual player and uh you know like i, I think back to like uh like i remember watching john carlos stand mm-hmm. uh, a bunch when he was in <clears throat> in the minor leagues and, and that first season he had out, um, you know, he, he really struggled in, in the first half. And then obviously he, he was able to, to make some adjustments from there on and, you know, wow, <laughs> he turned into, uh, who he is today. But, uh, you know, that, that's kind of the context of, all right, well, he was 18 years old hadn't really doesn't didn't have much professional experience didn't really focus on baseball full-time when he was in high school so okay once he gets more repetition more experience is is used to seeing high caliber pitching all right well then some of the you know in in his case there were some swing adjustments too but some of the pitch recognition and uh you know not so much plate discipline but uh, the the plan at the plate can can improve uh, for him, whereas you know, the older you get, the more experienced you are. If, if that pitch recognition, uh, if that swing and miss is is still an issue, uh, it just becomes uh, it becomes more and more of a risk and harder to. Uh, it, it it doesn't seem like it usually is something that 
gets better, but certainly there there are cases where uh, where it does too. Yeah, I mean, I think we saw that just recently. If we're looking at a a very high profile case about that is uh, Aaron Judge. I mean, Aaron Judge when he first came up was the 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 first or the second half of um, uh, the the half of the season or really the month he was he was up before he got injured. Every single breaking ball outside, uh, you know, low and away was was getting swing. And, it was a swing and miss. I mean, he was he struck out I think at fifty percent clip. Uh, when he was up in the bigs, and since then you've seen the discipline, you've seen the approach change drastically. Where where he can, you know, lock in and lay off of that pitch, and and you know wait for his pitch, and so you you can definitely see how that is uh, pitch identification is is more, you know can be a an immature uh, you know player quality as well, where they're just not they just need to see more pitches, and it's just the time and and getting that repetition. So um, hopefully that's one of those, one of those guys. It's interesting when you see a guy like judge who was able to really make that adjustment. It seemed like every single level he climbed, right. He had a struggle and then he made that improvement and never looked back from the time he made the improvement. Yeah, no, I think he's, uh, he's a good example of guy who made, uh, I mean, a ton of adjustments. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was in triple I think he hit, uh, maybe, maybe 20 home runs or something like that. <laughs> you know, he, he, you unlock that, uh, you know, even with the higher, you know, strikeouts with him, you, you unlock just a little bit and bam, you've got a, you've got a monster. <laughs> so keeping on the position players, cause there's, there's a bunch of pitchers obviously in the, in the top Yankees 30. Um, but the, I think when you're talking about position players after Floreal, they're pretty much names that, that not many people know about. So can you talk on a couple of the guys that you're expecting, um, you know, either they're rising through the ranks or just super talented guys that you've been impressed with uh, at the at the top of position players, I mean Pereira is one of the the number three prospect on the list that is an outfielder that looks interesting, and then also um, Cabello is another guy who, when you look at some of the exit velo numbers on him, uh, is is definitely a guy that stands out. Yeah, they've got a they've got a ton of super interesting guys who are in the the lower levels of that farm system, and, and two guys you mentioned, yeah, Everson. Everson Pereira, I'm a I'm a big fan of of his. Uh, you know, they skipped him obviously over the Dominican Summer League last year, and then he was just annihilating extended spring training. I think he had like seven or eight or nine home runs, something like that. There, so they were like, all right, well, we're gonna bump you up to uh, up to the Appy League, and and uh, you know maybe the numbers didn't jump out there the way like a Wander Franco's would or but uh that's a 17 year old kid in a, in a really really advanced league for his age but uh but I really like Everson Pereira I think he's uh uh I think he's a really smart and, and really well-rounded player too it's a, it's a very balanced skill set across the board a guy who uh I, I like his swing I think he uh, he he runs well. He's he's got power. I, mean, I I liked him when he signed as an amateur when he was more of a a line drive, you know, gap doubles type guy. Now he's grown into uh, you know significantly more power. So you have that offensive threat from a guy who's who's got a chance to uh, to stick in in center field. That's that's uh, I I think that's a guy who could jump into our top one hundred. Uh, very very quickly i'm I'm definitely very high on everson Pereira and, and then you mentioned uh, Antonio Cabello too uh, another guy you know they, they signed both those guys out of the the same international signing class out of uh, out of Venezuela and Cabello that was the, the Otani class right sorry to, to interrupt but that was the Otani yeah, 17 yeah, class yeah, yeah. They, you know they kind of 
thought they they were all right. Well, we're gonna try to sign uh, Otani, right. and all right, Otani says no. Sorry, here's our here's our backup plan. We're gonna sign uh, basically uh, Cabello, and then and then Rainford Salinas, who was you know basically hurt all year, so uh, but was another really really high profile international prospect. That, uh, you know because they had traded up for some some more pool money, like we had talked about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were able to. Uh, to execute uh, signing both those guys, even after uh, Otani slipped away, but uh, but yeah, Cabello, interesting guy because there's like not really anybody who's all that similar to him because he was a uh, you know he was a catcher in Venezuela who you know maybe spent a little bit of time at like second base and uh, you know teams looked at him in some other positions, but really he was a, a catcher, but he was a catcher who could run like. I think it was like six five, six six, maybe even six four. Like really, really fast <laughs> runner. Like usually, we're talking about a catcher. You know, if he, you know, if he runs well, he's like a below average runner. He's probably a forty runner. Whereas Cabello is a well above <laughs> average runner and a catcher who's very physically mature for his age. But you know, the defense, the defense was just okay. Uh, especially the the receiving behind the plate. So, uh, but you know the Yankees and and some other clubs certainly as well. Like the you know the uh, certainly the explosion, the athleticism, uh, and, and and the offensive performance. He always performed really well as an amateur. So uh, they signed him, and and not all that long after signing him, they just said, all right, you're going to go out to center field. So. Um, I, I actually thought he, he might start the year just in the Dominican Summer League because they had so many guys. You know, they had Pereira, they had Salinas. You got to get all these guys playing time sure. somewhere. And especially Cabello is like a guy who, if you're moving him to center field, you want him <laughs> in center field just to get as many reps as possible. Uh, but they sent him right out to the GCL and he played really well <laughs> right away. So. Um, I, I think it's just a guy who's got a, uh, again, he's, he's got athleticism and an explosion in there and, and that quick twitch that he has. But, uh, it's, it's also a guy who, um, you know, it, I, I just think has a really advanced approach too. I think that's a, a big asset for him. It, it's always kind of been something that, that he's done well in terms of, uh, you know, where, you know, whereas Floreal has to, like we we're talking about before, and he really needs to make some some progress with the the pitch recognition and and the uh, the plate discipline. That's that's uh, that's a strength of Cabellos. He he recognized pitches. Uh, he he understands the strike zone. He already has a, a very mature hitting approach, and then he's also really strong. So he hits the ball uh, really hard. Now I think there's questions about just because of the the way he's built, how much of that speed is he going to retain and how much more physical projection is there left for him to uh to continue to to get stronger but um certainly a a guy who made a a really really exciting debut this uh this past season yeah i'm looking at his numbers on uh, on the baseball america site and i see 510 160 and i'm thinking catcher 160 at five tenths seems like a very seems more like a center fielder you don't see that transition from catcher to center field very often um but i gotta believe you know the plate discipline and like you said the recognition and the the fact that he's i guess more mature at the plate a lot of that most likely comes from him being a catcher and and you know spending time back there and uh, learning the game from a different perspective 
Yeah, no, I think it's uh, it's definitely an advantage when you're a catcher to uh, to be able to just just attract pitches all the time to uh, to get a better feel for for that too. So talking about the the system now, looking at some of the pitchers, we have a couple guys in the in the top of the rankings um, that are you know potentially going to be making some. Uh, some some noise in the in the big leagues this year we've seen in the past. I mean, especially last year uh, and the year before that with the the Scranton shuttle as we call it from going from uh, from Wilkesbury to uh, to the Bronx with these uh, the, the relievers. Especially end of the end of the year, they uh, there's a there's a nice there's a nice rotation of guys coming up. Um, but guys like Michael King, I think he's a number he's a guy that a lot of people have been talking about uh, and and have had their eye on because of his drastic rise from. Uh, in the minor leagues last year, all the way up to uh, to Scranton, and he was kind of a guy that was uh, almost, you know, really wasn't talked about because of the, you know, the, the low profile, uh, you know, I guess of the trade itself with the Marlins. Yeah, like you said, not a not a super high profile guy. Like it's we don't uh, we get like a I don't think we get like a ton of questions about like Michael King or <laughs> or anything like that in chats, but um, a guy who has pretty good stuff it's not great stuff but uh the control i mean he just fills up the strike zone he's got the the two seamer uh he's got a cutter uh really that that two seamer is is kind of his uh his go-to offering it's it's got a lot of a lot of life a lot of action on it It throws it to uh you know to righties to lefties uh and then he's got uh, a changeup. i think plays plays pretty well off that pitch so uh i don't know that he's gonna be uh you know a super high ceiling type guy but uh definitely somebody who i think could could help them this year whether it's in a role as a a back of the rotation uh type starter or somebody who could fill in as a as a reliever whether it's you know more of a a traditional reliever or somebody who could be like a multi-inning type uh type of weapon for them yeah he kind of reminds me of of the uh it was a trade a couple of years ago for Jaime Garcia to the Twins. The Yankees sent uh, Dietrich Enns, who was the guy that climbed through the system pretty quick, and you saw the you know the big win total and uh, was able to throw strikes in the minor leagues. It seems like a guy like that, and Michael King, you know, he's able to throw strikes. He's able to locate his pitches. When you can do that in the minor leagues too, you can you can kind of be a quick riser out of nowhere sometimes. Um, so I'm wondering if that, like you're saying, that's him more of a more of a, a ceiling w- with him than than really just some guy who's who's coming up and, and ready to make a significant impact. Yeah, I think there's always questions too about guys with that type of stuff profile, where it's you know it's probably uh, you know for for a right-handed starter, it's probably about an average fastball, and and there's not uh, you know. Maybe you could say maybe on some days the the changeup is a plus pitch, but uh, there's always questions about how that type of arsenal is going to play up at at higher levels. So certainly when he was you know with the Marlins, you have that guy, that type of guy who's you know 22 years old facing uh, hitters in in low A. But uh, it's it's definitely definitely surprised me. I, I'll say that uh, his numbers actually got better when he uh, started moving up. Uh, up to both to, to high A, then double A, and, and then obviously in, in having carrying that success over to triple uh, A last year, it seems like you know as, as the the levels got higher, uh, he, his uh, his results just kept getting better and better. So some of these guys, uh, a few more of the pitchers that we've been hearing about for a while, I'd love to get your your thoughts on on who give me I don't know two or three guys that you see that that can make an impact. 
um, on the Yankees or rise through the ranks at, at some point in the relatively near future. A guy like Luis Medina is a guy we've been hearing about forever as well. Um, another guy was signed super young. Uh, so can you talk a couple, about a couple of the, the, the players that are coming up on the, on the pitching side? Yeah, I think the the guy I'm the the most high on right now is is Davy Garcia. Um, not a not a very big guy, but uh, he's got really good stuff, especially that curveball, um, fastballs, you know, low mid nineties, uh, throw strikes. But then that curveball is just such a weapon for him. It's got you know tight spin, really sharp break, good shape to it. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a true swing and miss pitch. Uh, you, you can see it in the, the strikeout numbers, the strikeout rate that he posted, uh, or really has posted throughout his, his career. That's, that's always kind of been his, his separator for him. So I, I think he's, I, I think he's got a chance to be at least a mid rotation starter, maybe a chance to be a number two, number three type starter. Cause uh, this guy just misses a, a ton of bats with that with that breaking ball. I think he's gonna, you know, I I was probably I would think he'll probably start the year in in Double A, but uh, I would not be surprised to see him. I would not be surprised to see him helping the big league club in in some capacity this year. But then I think at some point within the next few years, you're going to see him being a pretty important part of the of the starting rotation for them and. Uh, yeah, I mean, you mentioned uh, Luis Medina. He, he's definitely one of the most fascinating guys <laughs> in not just the Yankees system, but just through the entire minor leagues because he just has probably the biggest disconnect between raw stuff and results of any pitching prospect in in the minor leagues. I mean, you see the fastball, it's sitting mid to upper 90s touching 100 miles an hour uh there's there's life on the pitch too and then the, the curveball when it's on that's another plus pitch for him the changeup when that's on that's another pitch that at least flashes plus so you've got a guy with incredible raw stuff and then he just doesn't seem to be able to either know where it's going <laughs> or to be able to be consistent with it uh, you know, either start to start or inning to inning or even within uh, in at bat. I mean, it, he, 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 you have scouts who turn him in as like this really high level prospect. And then you see his numbers. You're like, this guy walked like 40 something batters in like 30 something innings uh, this year. He's, he's never really had anything that I would call success uh, in his, you know, few seasons of, of professional baseball, but, He's somebody where you're like, man, if, if the light bulb just ever goes on for this guy, you have a really high ceiling, but you also have somebody who might never really make it out of A ball too. So uh, super, super interesting guy just because the, the stuff is so good, but there's so many things that need to go right for, for everything to click for him. All the people and fans and uh, the stuff guys, everybody who's looking at stuff is drooling over a guy like Medina. But yeah, if you can't harness that stuff, it's unfortunate that you know it won't get past a certain level. Like you said, if you can't throw a strike, then that's a that's a problem. No matter if it's coming at 100 miles an hour or uh, if it's breaking off the shelf, if it's not going for a strike and people are identifying it too early, then it's a problem. Yeah, I mean, like we've seen guys too, like. You know, I think back to like Chris Archer when he was with the Indians. His his problems were not 
the quite to the extent that that Medina's are uh, in terms of his his command or, or just his straight out wildness. But uh, you know, he's he's an example of a guy who was an, an athletic pitcher with with good stuff and you know walked six or seven batters per nine innings when he was in uh, you know when he was in the South Atlantic League. So uh, as a, as a teenager, so guys can. Guys can make those adjustments, but uh, it's 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 in Medina's case, it's uh, it's it's an even more striking disparity than uh, than I think Archer's was in terms of the uh, the gap between the the stuff and and the polish. Dylan Batantis is a guy who was in the minor leagues for quite some time as a starting pitcher that couldn't throw strikes very well, uh, that was able to transition into that relief role. So. You know, if it's not a starting pitcher, there's there's a potential that a guy like that could kind of refocus and, and retool his his mind, I guess, for a different situation within the game. Uh, we've seen that happen. You know, Mariano Rivera, another failed starter. We see a lot of these guys who have had success in the in the in the um, bullpen be failed starters. So the stuff will hopefully play at some point in some way. <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah. I mean, Andrew Miller, another guy. I mean, yeah, there's exactly. there's definitely guys where you, where you move a guy to the bullpen and then somehow everything just seems to kind of click for a guy in, in that role. All right. A couple of things before, before I uh, let you go here. Um, is there anybody else in the system that, that you can think of that, that we need to, to know about or talk about that, that can be a quick riser coming up, whether it's position player or a pitcher, uh, a quick riser. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's tough for, for the Yankees. Just uh, so many of their, their guys that I like the most right now are really at the, the lowest lowest levels, uh, whether it's you know like a, a Rolante Contreras or uh, OCL Rodriguez, Antonio Gomez, Kevin Alcantara, guys they, you know guys they just uh, you know some of those guys they just signed last year. I, I do think actually though that uh, you know it, you know we talked about Pereira and Cabello already, but uh, mentioned OCL Rodriguez, a pitching mm-hmm. prospect that the, the Yankees signed at a. Cuba last year, I thought he was, you know, him and and the Cubs signed a Venezuelan pitcher, Richard Gallardo. I thought those were the two best pitching prospects on the international market last year. And, uh, you know, OCL Garcia, I, I saw him, geez, I saw him when he was 15 years old. He was up to 96. He had a swing and miss breaking ball uh, coming at hitters with all different kind of arm angles and uh, arm slots. But, um he, he he's a guy who I think actually could, you know, you know obviously with pitchers it, it depends on on health, but uh, he's not uh, he's not Luis Medina. He's not just a, a raw stuff type guy. This is a guy who's who's been pitching for for a long time and, and has had a lot of success. Uh, he he uh, you know he has good stuff. He has the fastball. He has the the breaking ball to to miss a lot of bats, but he has really good polish. Again, relative for for his age, I think he's 16 or may have just turned uh, 17 years old. But uh, he he has a pretty good idea of of what he's doing on the mound, how to set up hitters, uh, how to attack uh, how to attack batters, at least relative for his age. So I think he's somebody where as as long as he stays healthy, I, I think he's going to be somebody who comes out and and can have uh, success right away this season. Yeah, there was a lot of excitement after they signed him. Um, Coming up, the, I mean, he was he was definitely one of the top two guys that uh, that were prospected coming out last year. So, last last thing before I let you go, Ben, the the number one guy people have been floating his name around uh, that the Yankees are in the 
in the running and probably the leaders in the clubhouse, I guess, to sign is Jason Dominguez. He's the, considered the top international prospect. Can you just kind of give a, a quick scouting report on him and, and kind of who he is? Yeah, he's, uh, you know, it's, I guess, you know, we were talking about Cabello being this like really explosive, unconventional uh, body type kind of guy. And, uh, you know, Dominguez is another guy who's, uh, super tooled up, super athletic, super explosive, uh, but also doesn't have that kind of uh, conventional body type you're used to seeing from kids out of the Dominican Republic when they're uh, 16 years old. He's, uh, you know, just really strong, muscular uh, kid who's who's got a ton of tools. He can uh, center fielder who can uh, who can really run. He's got a, a strong arm. He's got power. And then talking to scouts who, who really like him, they, they've seen him hit in games and, and hit for power in games too. So you have that uh, premium position, middle of the diamond guy who, you know, a lot of times uh, at that age, you're, you're looking at somebody who's, uh, you know, really athletic and really toolsy, but more on the raw side, or you're looking at a, a kid who, maybe is is has more polish more that baseball iq baseball acumen and, and instincts but uh doesn't have the tools to to go with it uh but it, it seems like jason dominguez uh kind of combines the uh the best of both worlds i don't i don't know that he has the uh, a ton of physical projection left he, he's just already really uh, a well put together kid he's, he's already uh really really strong but uh, man, there's there's just a ton to to like with him in terms of the you know athleticism, tools, premium position, and and the ability to to translate that into games already at uh, at, at such a young age. Yeah, no, it's exciting. I've seen a couple places online where uh, I, I guess he's a he's a Car- Carlos Gonzalez fan, so a cargo is a guy he's looking up to. It sounds like from what you described, it's a similar type style of player where you know middle of the diamond type guy can hit can run can field can throw five tool guy that that's uh you know just a heck of an athlete at an early age and and seems like he's putting it together so it'll be it'll be interesting to see if the Yankees are able to sign him because it's uh from what I understand it would be a large portion if not all of their their money is that about five million dollars which has been you know talked about I think yeah yeah it would definitely be uh (laughs) A very very significant uh, chunk of their other yeah. bonus pool, but uh, you know somebody like that, if you sign him, can uh, you know it, we still have a whole season to go, so it's hard to say where exactly he would pencil into their uh, their top ten or their top thirty. But uh, I'm I'm very confident you can say you know we have we have Anthony Siegler right now. They're at uh, at four. He's more of a you know a back of the the first round tight pick I, I you know i think if uh you know you, you put both those guys in into a draft you're, you're gonna see dominguez go uh, go higher than siegler so that should give uh, some indication of uh, just how high up dominguez is uh, uh would be all right ben well hey i really appreciate you coming on and, and for all the insight of these guys i know uh everybody listening is is uh is, is now googling all these different names that we've talked about to, to learn as much as they possibly can in addition so um guys if you want to follow ben on twitter he's at ben badler ben again thanks very much for for coming on and taking the time oh absolutely Scott. thanks for having me on hey guys thanks for listening to the bronx pinstripe show Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, 
we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.